0: advocate of sports is on the air. From Wrigley Field in Chicago, Gillette presents the World Series. Ben, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette blue blades with the sharpest edges ever haunt. Good afternoon, baseball fans everywhere. This is Al Helfer with Bill Slater and Bill Corum, greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company as the Chicago Cubs and the Detroit Tigers get ready for the crucial sixth game in this 1945 championship series. The sun here in Chicago at Wrigley Field is shining beautifully. In other words, we have a brilliant sun. But the temperature, well, it has considerably dropped during the night. And the official reading at 1 o'clock here this afternoon was exactly 48 degrees. First of all, I think we have the opportunity perhaps of running down the Tigers batting water before the National anthem is sun. At shortstop and leading off is Skeeter Webb for Detroit. Hitting second is Eddie Mayo, the second baseman. Hitting third is Roger Duck Cormer in center field. Hitting fourth is Hank Greenberg playing in left field. Hitting fifth is Roy Cullendine, the right fielder. Hitting sixth is Rudy York, the big first baseman. Hitting seventh is Jimmy Outlaw, the little third baseman. Hitting eighth is Paul Richards, the catcher, and the pitcher is Virgil Trucks. And for the Chicago Cubs, Stanley Hack will lead off and play at third. Don Johnson will be the second baseman and hit second. Peanuts Lowry will hit third and be in left field. And Phil Cabaretta will be at first and hit fourth for Chicago. Hitting fifth will be Andy Pafco, and he'll play in center field. Hitting sixth will be Big Bill Nicholson, and he'll be playing in right field again for Chicago today. The catcher is going to be Mickey Livingston, hitting in the number seven spot for Charlie Grimm's Cubs. And hitting in the number eight spot and reinstalled into the lineup, as Bill Corham told you, is Roy Hughes, the veteran shortstop. And hitting ninth... And pitching this afternoon, and Chicago's pinning their hopes on him, Claude Passo, grand right hander, 36 years of age, and he'll be facing Virgil Trucks, a 26 year older. So there's just 10 years difference between these two pitchers here this afternoon. Claude Passo, as Bill Cron told you, has pitched the more nearly perfect ball game in the World Series. And Virgil Trucks, just out of the Navy, as a matter of fact, this is his second week out of service, and he has come back to baseball with a bang. If you recall, he pitched himself quite a smart ball game against these self-same Chicago Cubs down in Detroit. And Steve O'Neill is hoping that this afternoon the latter portion of his TNT offering will come to light. Now here are the Chicago Cubs coming out to take the field. We'll set them for you defensively. Claude Passo on the mound. Livingston behind the plate. But, ladies and gentlemen, right now, we are to have the playing of our national anthem. ...the
1: banner the music of Colonel
2: Armandhead, the Trade Band. THE <laughs> END
0: of this sixth World Series ballgame, but we have just a few moments' time. As a matter of fact, 10 seconds' worth of it for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use let Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever hold. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. WGN Chicago, serving the Middle West. As Claude Passo now goes to the mound here at Wrigley Field in Chicago, the umpires behind the plate, National League Blue Jordan, at first base, American League Art Passarello, at second base, National League umpire Jocko Conlon, at third base is Bill Summers of the American League. And talking about Bills, well, you know what that means, don't you? That means a grand guy's going to step up here to the microphone right now. He takes his hat off, shows us that silver hair of his, moves into the microphone, and he tells us the following, Bill... Okay, Al Helfer, thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. This ball game, as Al indicated, is just about to get itself underway. Claude Passault, defiantly wearing a big number 13 on his back, strides out to the mound there, picks up the rosin bag, and Claude is walking nervously around that circle of dirt out there at this particular moment and is getting ready to deliver the first pitch of this sixth crucial ball game of the 45 series to Jimmy Skeeter Webb, the lead off hitter for Detroit. That will bring up there, battling each other, a couple of gentlemen from Mississippi. Passo from Waynesboro, Mississippi. The pitcher will face Jimmy Webb of Meridian, Mississippi, as the hitter. Now Webb, bats right-handed, steps in there. In the series, he's had four hits out of 21 times up. And when he faced Passo last Friday, he grounded out twice and he flied out once. Only one man got a hit off of Passo, and that was Rudy York. So Skeeter Webb was... Not an exception in the lineup in not hitting Passo last Friday. He's ready to go now. Passo delivers him. It's a call strike, a fast ball on the inside just above the knees. And Passo on that pitch takes up where he left off on Friday with that magnificent exhibition of his. Claude with that sharply chiseled chin of his. Very determined face. Big guy. Pitches down to little Skeeter. Webb swings on it. There's a ground ball down to second. Don Johnson has it. to throw to Cabrera in time. Webb is out. (laughs) Webb grounding out to the second baseman of the Chicago Cubs. And it's one out for Detroit in the top of the first inning. Here's Eddie Mayo of Clifton, New Jersey. Mayo has had four hits in the series and 17 times up. And oddly enough, he's gotten all of his hits off of Hank Barrowe. He hasn't hit anybody else. He grounded out three times last Friday against Paso. Mayo bats left-handed and he's ready to go. So is Paso, and here comes the pitch. He runs up as if to bunt, takes it, and it's good for a called strike. This is the second series that Eddie Mayo has been in, as we've commented before. He was in the 36 series as a giant. He was a substitute then for Travis Jackson. Came up only once at bat in that series and walked off with a little over $4,000. There's a fly ball going into right field. Back goes Nicholson. He's back pretty close to the wall, but he's under it and takes it for the out. So Mayo flies out to deep right field to bad Bill Nicholson, and there are two out for Detroit in the top of the first. Here comes Doc Kramer. Kramer has six hits out of 18 times up in the series, and against Paso on last Friday, he flied out to each of the three outfielders. Fly out to left, flight out to center, Fly out to right. They played no favorites on flying out. The pitch for the left-handed hitter is swung on. There's a slow roller down the second. Don Johnson feels a little bit close, but is out. So quickly, the Tigers go down in order in the top of the first inning, and there's nothing across for Detroit. Therefore, the score is Detroit nothing, Chicago nothing. Experience quickly teaches a good moundsman the best way to pitch to a batter who is really tough. Yes, just as experience teaches men that the best way to shave is the quick, easy, all-gillette way. Now take it from me, when you soften your whiskers with Gillette shaving creams, lather or brushless, and breathe through them with today's Gillette blue braid in your Gillette razor, you enjoy the slickest, most refreshing shaves a man can have. Fans Gillette brushless and Gillette lather are superb beard softeners. They remove moisture-resisting oil from your whiskers almost instantly and blanket plenty of water against them. Every bristle gets a thorough soaking in a hurry. Gillette shaving creams are becoming easier to obtain. Ask your dealer for Gillette brushless or Gillette lathers just a quarter and enjoy the extra luxury of shaving this easier all Gillette way. And remember, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette blue blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Now it's the last half of the first inning, and a roar from the Chicago crowd as Stanley Hack comes to the plate. Hack bats left-handed, and in the series, he's gone seven for 20. And against Trucks, last Thursday, he went 3 for 3, and was walked once, and one of his three hits was a double. So this particular fellow, Stanley Hack, who's coming up there to bat against the ex-sailor, Virgil Trucks, was the toughest guy of all over in Detroit for Trucks. Let's see what happens now. Trucks pitches low, and outside, it's ball one. Trucks only gave the uh, Cubs seven hits in hanging up that victory over them up in Detroit. He pitches now inside the Hack. That was just above the waist, over the inside corner to the left-handed batter. Ball two, two and all. Now Hack leans his bat against himself, spits on his hands and rubs them together and grabs the bat again. And Trutz, a husky-looking guy, is ready to go. That's a call strike. Fast curve over the outside corner just below the waist. Two balls, one strike on the first batter for Chicago and in the last half, the first inning, no score. The pitch, swung on, fouled off, strike two. Two balls, two strikes. Don Johnson is on deck. They'll be followed by Pino Flower. Virgil Trucks, who's six feet, Weighs 195, looks like a Colorado, good-looking guy. Pitchers, Hack swings on it, there's a foul coming back into the stands just behind third. And Charlie Grimm, the inimitable manager of the Chicago Cubs, coaching down at third, looks up at the crowd, and he grins. Now he shouts something down at Hack. And so does Roy Johnson, the old hard rock, who coaches at first for the Cubs. And the new ball is all rubbed up and ready to be put in play now. Here it comes, Hack takes it outside. Now it's a full count. Three balls, two strikes on the first batter up for Chicago and the last to the first. Hack standing there with that ever-present California smile on his face. Takes that one, it's inside, and Hack is off. So the first cub up gets on. The batter now is Don Johnson, a right-handed hitter. Trucks only walked three men in that first game. There's a throw over the first, but Hack gets back in time. Johnson's the second baseman. Against Trucks last uh, Thursday, he went 0 for 3 and struck out twice. Trucks first pitch to him is low and inside, the ball won. Guy trust, as you've been told, was a Birmingham Alabama boy. His father was a semi-professional pitcher and started Virgil on his way to baseball fame. As the pitch is funded down the first baseline, York fields it, bobbles it for a minute. The throw to first is in time, however, with Mayo covering. And Hack moves down to second, and the sacrifice works. York charged down the first baseline. Johnson was running right at him. York bobbled it for just a second, but picked it up in time to flip it to Eddie Mayo back at first base for the out. Hack now is perched in potential scoring position at second, and the batter is Peanuts Lowry. He hits right-handed, and he's gone six for 20 in the season. And against Trutz last Thursday, he went two for four. Swings on this one, there's a long fly ball to right field. Back goes Roy Columbine. He's under it in deep right field. Hack touches up at second, but does not go down to third in the face of a good throw by Roy Columbine in from right field. So that's all for Lowry. He hit the first pitch ball to right field for an out. Two out now for Chicago, last of the first, and here's their leading hitter stepping up there, Phil Cabaretta. In the series, Phil has had six hits out of 17 times up. Two doubles and a homer in those six hits. He got one of those doubles off the trucks last Thursday when he went one for four against Virgil. Cabaretta, very popular in Chicago, bats left-handed, takes a long grip on that war club. Big Virgil trucks on the mound, Stretches. Pitches to Cabaretta, who swings on it, slaps it down to deep shortstop. Skeeter-Webb is making the play to first, and it's in time. Nice play by Webb. Cabaretta's out of there, and that's all for Chicago in the last half of the first inning. No runs, no hits, a base runner hack left on at second, and there were no Detroit errors. So that's how this thrilling ball game gets underway, nothing to nothing, at the end of the first inning. Here's the first batter for Detroit in the top of the second inning and it is Captain Hank Greenberg who served with distinction in the Army Air Forces Greenberg steps up there yesterday he had a very hot day he went 3 for 5 and his 3 hits were all doubles and in the series he's gone 6 for 16 3 doubles and a homer against Paso last Friday he struck out and then twice flied out to left field Greenberg's batting average is a very fancy 375 in this series. Tall right-handed hitter is Big Hank. Pride of the Bronx. Paso pitches him. It's good. A fast call strike just above the knees over the inside corner. On Friday, Paso pitched the very dangerous Hank Greenberg perfectly all the way. See what happens now today. It's one of the hardest things in baseball to stop Greenberg. Here's the pitch. Greenberg swings out. There's a high fly ball going into left field. Peanuts Lowry over to his left is under it, and he takes it on the run for the out. The next batter will be Roy Cullenbein. Cullenbein has gone three for 16 in the series. Two of them have been very timely doubles. Against Cassell last Friday, he flied out twice and grounded out once. Columbine against this right-handed pitching will hit left-handed. Now Passo calmly looks him over and pitches to him. It's a little high and outside for ball one. Columbine's been around. He played with Detroit, Brooklyn, the Browns, the Senators, the Yanks, Cleveland, and now back to Detroit again. Passo, pitching with considerable deliberation, is ready. There's the pitch, Cullenbine swings on it, there's a fly ball going down the left field line. I think it's going to fall foul, and it does, finally curving over into the crowd. It was sliced. One ball, one strike. And Cullenbine, with his hands nipped a bit by the stiff breeze that's whipping across Lake Michigan, blows his breath on his hands before he grips that bat again. It really is that cold. Passo is blowing his breath on his pitching hand. Now he goes into his motion. Delivers, Columbine takes it low no and inside. It's ball two. Two balls, one strike. One out in the top of the second inning. Nobody on, nothing to nothing to score. Passo has uh, fingers constricted on his left hand, which is the reason he's allowed to rub up the ball with his gloved hand. Pitches to Columbine, and it's a fall strike just above the knees, beautifully curved on the inside corner. That was a masterful pitch. Two balls, two strikes now on Big Roy Cullenbine. Cullenbine is standing outside the batter's box now. Now he steps in. And Paso, who does a lot of fiddling around on the mound, blows his breath on his hands, pulls on his cap, is ready to go. Two and two pitch coming into Cullenbine high for ball three. Now there's the three and two situation. That ball was so high that it bounced off the top of the glove of Mickey Livingston and rolled back to the screen. Outfield plays Cullenbine very deep and right. And with respectful distance in the other outfield positions. And the shortstop, Roy Hughes, is back at the edge of the grass, the outer edge. So is the second baseman, Don Johnson. Cullenbine steps in, then steps out again, just back, says he wants the rosin bag. This is a three-and-two pitch. Back there he says a few words to Rudy York, who's on deck. Most of the Tigers are wearing very heavy black undershirts under their baseball shirts today. Now, Pesso works. It's low and outside, and he walks Cullen by That's the first walk given up by Pesso. He only walked one man, all told, in that very masterful game that he pitched last Friday. Next batter is Rudy York. York hits right-handed, and as we told you, he's the only man that got a hit off Paso up in Detroit. Just as in that last one-hit game that was pitched back in 1906 by a club pitcher in the World Series, the only man to hit him was the opposing first baseman. Odd coincidence. York, that's right-handed. Swings on that one, swaps it out to center field. It's falling in for a good hit. It's midway between the right and center field as it's being fielded out there by Papco. And the throw in the second is not in time to get York, who is sliding in with a double. And Columbine holds up at third. That, of course, is just the second hit that has been gotten off Paso in the World Series. Both hits up to this point have been garnered by Rudy York. And this is the first extra base blow off Mr. Paso and it puts a pretty tough situation up to the Cubs, because Columbine is at third, York is at second, with that double to right center field. And now here is Jimmy Outlaw, the little uh, third baseman. I think they're going to intentionally pass him, yes. That would be the indicated strategy. So out from behind the plate steps catcher Libby, uh, Mickey Livingston, on orders from uh, Jolly Charlie Grimm. And Paso will go through the perfunctory motions of tossing in three wide ones, and that means that Outlaw will be intentionally passed and put on. That fills up the bases, of course, enhancing the opportunity for a double play. There's ball four, and there goes Outlaw. And now all the pressure, as far as the Tigers are concerned here in the top of the second, is placed squarely on the shoulders of Paul Richards, the catcher, the tall, dark-haired gentleman from Texas. Richards steps in there, batting right-handed. He's gone two for fifteen in the series and driven in one run. He only uh, batted once against uh, Paso last Friday. Fouled out to the first baseman then. Here's the pitch to Richards, high, ball one. Base is loaded, full of Tigers. Columbine at third, York with his double at second, an outlaw purposely passed as at first. There's one out. Paso pitching to Richards in the clutch. Here it comes, Richard swings, misses, it's a strike. One ball, one strike. And this is the first high moment in this ball game. This is the sort of thing you come for. Some activity in the Cub bullpen. Pick that up for you in a second because Paso is just ready to go now to Richards. Richards lets it go, it's down low. Below the knees, ball two. That's Hank Wise. Chapo is part Cherokee Indian, down there warming up. Cub right-hander is Mr. Wise. But the interest is all focused now on the Cub right-hander on the mound, the veteran Claude Passo. Count on the batter is two balls, one strike. Here it comes. Richard swings, misses it. Just Powell tipped it. Dropped out of the glove of Mickey Livingston, but that is strike two. Two balls, two strikes. And trucks, the pitcher, is scheduled to hit next. Now Claude Passo in a tough spot. Works very slowly, very carefully. He'll put all the cunning and craftiness of his long years of experience and his ability as a great pitcher into this next one coming in there to Richards. Here it is. Richards takes it high. Now it's ball three. Three balls and two strikes. And you can hear the roar of the crowd rising in the background. And a couple of new balls are brought out and given to the plate umpire, Lou Giorda. Three balls, two strikes. One man out. Tassel taking all the time in the world, and he sure deserves it. He's ready. Here it comes. Richards takes it, and it is high for ball four, and a run is forced in. The Tigers go ahead, one to nothing. That, of course, will count as a run by the end for Mr. Richards, his second of the series. And Columbine costs with the free run that was forced in when Richards was lost. That moved York down to third, put Outlaw on the second, Richards at third to first, keeps the bases loaded, and the Tigers are in front, one to nothing. And it was Columbine, incidentally, who crossed with a run that was forced in yesterday. Now, here's Virgil Crux, the pitcher coming up to hit. He's the sixth man up for Detroit here in the top of the second inning. That's, that's right-handed. Not too fancy a hitter. He hasn't had time to get his hitting eye back since he came out of the Navy less than 10 days ago. Swings on one. There's a bounding ball foul outside of third base. Fielded by Steve O'Neill. Sucks on the game he pitched last Thursday. Went all for 3, Struck out once. He's a right-handed batter, is this fireball from Alabama. The great big 35 on his back. There's the pitch to swings on it. There's a short fly ball going down the left field line. Back on the grass and under it is Roy Hughes, and he takes it for the out, races the ball back into the infield and all runners hold. That means York is still at third, outlaw at second, Richards at first. Two out now, one run in, in the top of the second, and that brings up Skeeter Webb to start the second batting around for the Detroit Tigers here in this Crucial sixth game of the 1945 World Series. Webb batting right-handed. He went to the University of Mississippi when he was a kid, and the opposing moundsman out there, Claude Passeau, went to Millsaps College down in Mississippi. So a couple of old Mississippi collegians going at it again. All those things are forgotten. Webb would like to get a hit, and Passeau would like to put him out. Here it comes to Webb. Webb swings on it. There's a bounding ball back towards second. It's fielded by Hughes, who steps on second for the force out, retiring the side. Hughes stepped on second, forcing out Richards, unassisted, coming down from first. So on the top of the second inning for Detroit, one run, one hit, three men left on, and there were no cover errors. Art Flynn of Sporting News has just brought Rogers Hornsby, greatest right-handed hitter of all time, into the booth. Come in and say a word to the fans, Roger. Hello, fans. I'm getting a real kick out of this series. I hope you are too, Roger. You look sharp.
1: I You're bet two, you dear. feel
0: sharp, don't you? you boy? Two, Bill. Right. Well, all the fans know that you are sharp, Roger. So tell them how you shake. You tell them, Bill. Well, okay, Roger. Then I'll take the ball. We both know that you always use the Gillette Blue Blade, and believe me, it's the sharp choice. As you found out, and that goes for most top ball players I know. The Gillette Blue Blade is the easiest and smoothest shaving blade that any man ever laid against his face. Remember, fans, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever home. All right, the last half of the second inning. And the embattled Chicago Cubs will be stepping up there. Detroit leads them by one run. And Virgil Trucks on the mound, who enjoys that one-run lead, is getting ready to pitch to Andy Papco. Swings on one, hits it right back through the box and out into center field for a hit. It's fielded out there by Doc Kramer and Topko pressing halfway down to second, turns around in the face of Kramer's throw and gets back to first with a single. That's the first hit of this ball game off cuts, of course, and the eighth hit gathered off of his deliveries in the series. And here is Bill Nicholson at the plate. Left-handed hitter, swings on the first one, there's a high one down the first base line in foul territory now, and York is over under it, and York takes it for the out. Nicholson fouls out the first baseman of Detroit, Rudy York. Half court first. Here comes Mickey Livingston, the catcher. He bats right-handed. He didn't uh, bat against trucks over in Detroit. Gillespie caught that ball game. And Gillespie was hurt in that game and hasn't done in the series since. Mickey Livingston, the former G.I., bats right-handed. Takes a high pitch from Virgil Trucks for ball one. Levison's had five hits out of 15 times up in the series. Two of them doubles. Batted in three runs. Right-handed hitter. Here it is. He took it, was good, a call strike. He started for it, checked his swing, and it nipped the inside corner. One ball, one strike now on Mickey Livingston. Andy Papco leading off first, York holding the corner against him. Here's the pitch, Livingston swings on it, hits it down to the second baseman Mayo. The play at second, one out, the play back to first is very wide. The ball bounces off the wall there, and the runner is going into second. He slides in and he's out. what happened Livingston hit a ball down to the second baseman Eddie Mayo he picked it up threw it to the shortstop Skeeter Webb covering it second that forced Papco coming down the throw to uh, the throw to York at first was very wide but it bounced hard off the wall and Richards going down toward first the catcher picked it up flipped it down to Webb who was still at second base and Webb put the ball on Livingston as Livingston slid in and so Livingston was out and that is all for Chicago in the last half of the second inning. No runs for the Cubs, one hit, no base runners left on and there were no errors by Detroit. At the end of two full innings of play, Detroit leads Chicago by a score of one to nothing. And now before we move into the thrilling third inning that I know is coming up, uh, let's do a little pause here, ten seconds, for station identification. Remember men, look sharp, Heel sharp, B sharp. Use Gillette blue blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the mutual broadcasting system. This is WGM Chicago
1: serving the Middle West. Of course, that
0: play a moment ago, when Livingston was thrown out trying to get himself into second after the throw to York had been wide, will be racked up as a double play because there was a twin killing on the same play. And that's the first double play of this ball
1: game.
0: Detroit leading one to nothing. It's Eddie Mayo, who was involved in that play, who comes up to bat. This is his second time up. First time up, he lifted a fly out to Bill Nicholson in right field. He hits left-handed. Swings on one. There's a ground ball to the left of the second baseman. Johnson has it now. The throw to first is in time to get Mayo. He's out. Second baseman, Don Johnson, throwing over to Phil Cabaretta. So that's one out. For Detroit in the top of the third inning. Now here's Doc Kramer to be the next hitter. He grounded out to Johnson his first time up, Doc Bats left-handed. He's the only player in the major leagues that ever caught a foul that I know of in Center Field. That foul, however, was a rooster that he caught out here at Comiskey Park once this season. So that's how Kramer caught a foul in Center Field. First pitch to him is in there for a call strike on Roger Doc Kramer. Kramer has six hits out of 19 times up in the series so far. Swings on that one. There's a high pop-up over the infield. Bill Cabaretta at first is waving everybody away, and when it comes down, he's got it. So Kramer pops up and out to the first placement of Chicago. Two up. Here's Hank Greenberg. Greenberg was the first man up in that second inning. The inning that produced the one run by which Detroit leads now. Greenberg, however, was not involved in that because he flied out to left field. Big Hank steps in there, stands up big and tall, almost straight up at the plate, Crowds the plate a bit. Passo delivers him, here it comes, Greenberg swings on, it's a bounding ball down to shortstop, Roy Hughes scoops it up to throw across the diamond in time. Greenberg is out, shortstop to first base. So in the top of the third inning, nothing across for the Detroit Tigers. And as we head for the last half, of the third inning, the score is Detroit one, Chicago nothing. The last half of inning number three. And the first batter for Chicago will be Roy Hughes coming up for his first time today. Hughes, as you all know, was injured a little bit in batting practice yesterday by a line drive off the bat of Rudy York, the first baseman of the Tigers. But he's all right today, and he's in there at shortstop. It's right-handed. So far in the series, he's had only one hit out of ten times up. Pitch to him is good. A fast call strike that Virgil Trucks whipped in there. And now Trucks appears to be turning on that steam. He's a fireball pitcher, you know. Steams it in with tremendous speed. There's another one of them, and it was in and over. I doubt if uh, Roy Hughes even saw that. It was just a blurred streak of whiteness coming across that green grass down there. Trucks worked. That pitcher swung on and missed by Hughes, and he's a strikeout victim of Virgil Trucks. First strikeout for Trucks. One out for Chicago in the last half of the third. Here comes Claude Passo up to the plate, the pitcher. Passo, in that game he pitched last uh, Friday, didn't distinguish himself at the plate. He went over for four and struck out three times. He bats right-handed. Swings on that one, misses it. Then he lifted his eyes up to the skies. As if to say, gosh, that thing was in there. I didn't get a piece of it. He didn't. He tries to bunt one, fouls it off. That's two strikes on Tasso. pa He may not be much of a hitter, Mr. Paso, although he can crash one once in a while. He's one of the greatest fielding pitchers of all time. Swings on that strikes out. Strikeout number two for Virgil Trucks. Both of them coming here in the last half of the third. That means that Stanley Hack comes up. Start the second batting around for the Chicago Cubs. And as I mentioned before, this Hack has been the tough guy for Trucks. He's had three hits. One of them a double, and two walks off of Trucks. Hack swings on one, slaps it out in center field, it's falling in for a hit. Doc Kramer fields it on the third bounce and throws it back in, and Hack is on at first. What kind of a jinx is it that Hack has got on the Trucks? That's his fourth hit off of Trucks in four official times up in the series, and twice Trucks has walked him. Two out now, Hack on at first, and here's Don Johnson. Johnson is officially 4 for 20 in the series. He lashed out one triple. Steps up there, batting right-handed. He sacrificed, as you'll remember, when he came up his first time this afternoon, back in inning number one. That's right-handed. Fouls one off. It's going back into the crowd. Strike one. The ball's one strike on Don Johnson. Guy Johnson, who's developed into a swell second baseman, learned a lot of his uh, double play work from Joe Gordon of the New York Yankees. Taught him that very important uh, handling of the ball there on the double plays. (laughs) Johnson swings on that one. That's a well-hit ball to deep center field. Back goes Doc Kramer way back near the Ivy, and he grabs it for the out. Nice running catch back into his left by Doc Kramer. That retires the side in the last half of the third inning. No runs for Chicago. One hit, one base runner left on, and no errors. Chicago now has no runs. They've made two hits. They've had two base runners left on. Detroit has one run on one hit. They have had three base runners left on. We're happy to say that the Armed Forces Radio Service are receiving wires from all over the world telling them that the reception of the game so far has been excellent. 165 Armed Forces Radio stations out in the field and on most of the battleships at sea are picking up the shortwave transmissions and are rebroadcasting them to the men in their area or on their ships. Now here is inning number four and the first batter up to the Tigers is Columbine. First pitch to him Low inside and it almost hits him. Cullenbine had to get down to one knee, getting out of, out of the way of that one. Passel got all of, his, all of his trouble back in the second inning when he walked Cullenbein. York came up and hit a double, and Cullenbine scored the run. Now Cullenbine hits a ground ball down towards second base, and it is not brought up by Don Johnson. It's a pretty hard ball on which to make a play. It was one of those slow rollers, a little bit topped. Johnson came charging in, and it's an error on Johnson. But Columbine is on by virtue of an error. The second baseman of the Chicago Cubs that's his first error in the series. And it's just the fourth error committed by the Cubs. As a matter of fact, it's just the seventh error of the entire series. But it puts Columbine on. Now here's Rudy York, who doubled his last time up. That's right-handed, this big Rudy. Here's a pitch to York, swings on it. A high one is popped up down toward first foul. Cavaretta waves everybody away and takes it easily for the out. One out now for Detroit in the top of the fourth. Cullenbine still at first. Hack came over there under that high hit foul down towards first, and he looked like a breaststroke swimmer, motioning everybody, out him away, out him away. One out. Now the batter standing in there is Little Jimmy Outlaw, who was intentionally passed his first time up. It's right handed as the little fellow, and they play him straight away. Passo delivers. It's hit on the ground to the left of the shortstop. Johnson makes a beautiful stop on that and a beautiful play. Outlaws out. Oh, boy, I'll remember that one a long time. I thought that was a hit on the ground into right field. It was ticketed for the hole between Cabaretta and Johnson, but Johnson went very, very swiftly to his left. Stabbed the ball on the ground with his gloved hand and flipped it over to Cabaretta and they got outlawed by two strides, of course Cullenbine moved down to second on the fly. Derringer is warming up out there for the Cubs and with Richards at the plate and first open and the pitcher scheduled to come up next and two out, why Richards is going to be given an intentional pass. Out from behind the plate stands Mickey Livingston. And Passo is flipping the ball in there. That will be the second intentional pass given up by Passo. He passed outlaw, as we told you, back in inning number two. It will be the fourth base on balls altogether off Passo. I don't know why that batter has to stand there while those four very wide ones are thrown in, but that's the rule. Now, here comes Virgil Trucks walking toward the plate, and he's twirling his bat somewhat like a drum major. He's a good-looking guy, girls. Big ad type. That's right-handed. Takes a pitch at south side. Thrown to him by Claude Tasso. Ball one. Crux is 0 for 4 in the series. He lifted a fly to the shortstop. Roy Hughes, his first time up. Runners at first and second. Here's the pitch. It swung on. He missed it and swung with such force that he jerked his head back. Wrapped the bat around himself. One ball, one strike. So stretches, delivers. Trucks started for it, Wishes he had now. It's got the outside corner on it. Ball strike. One ball, two strikes on Mr. Fire Trucks. He's very fast here today for these pitching, and I said they have the fastest fire trucks in the world in Chicago. Trucks takes, it low and outside, ball two, two balls, two strikes, on Mr. Trucks. Columbine at second, Richards at first, two out, top of the fourth, here it is, Trucks takes it, low and inside for ball three, now the count on the pitcher is three and two. Passo has a bit of a job cut out for him. Here comes the three and two pitch, both runners break. And it is outside for ball four and cuts his past. And Passo did not like the call on that. And he comes charging in like a wild bull. Shouting and yapping at Lou Jordan, the plate umpire. Now he stops just shy of the plate. And does his protesting by a bit of remote control. The trucks was passed when the three-and-two pitch was a bit outside. Richards now is parked at second. Columbine is at third. The bases are loaded. And it's Skeeter-Webb coming up. Five men have been walked by Passau. That's the department in which his performance today does not stand up to what he did last Friday up in Detroit. Is Webb ready to go, swings on one, there's a long fly ball to deep center field, back goes go way back, 390 feet away, he's got it. So, in the top of the fourth inning for Detroit, no runs, no hits, three base runners left on, and there was one Chicago error. So the score, now as we head for the last half of the fourth inning, is Detroit one, Chicago nothing. Ask your dealer for Gillette brushless. If he's out of stock today because of wartime shortages, he'll have Gillette brushless very soon. All right, it's the home half of the fourth inning, and still the Tigers are out in front one to nothing. And Virgil Trucks is out there to flip in his warm-up pitches to Paul Richards the catcher. And coming up for the Cubs is their power now. Lowry will be the first hitter then Cabaretta, and then PAPCO. This guy, Trucks, who served, incidentally, in the South and Central Pacific in the 19 months that he was in the Navy, has a very unusual distinction that he grins about. In his 19 months of service and overseas, he never rode on a boat. So there's a Navy veteran now who never rode a boat. He went by air all the time. But these are modern times. Now Trucks is ready to go, and Lowry, who flied out to right his first time up, steps in. He takes a very fast ball strike with a lot of nice hook on it. Lowry didn't even offer it that one. Little little Peanuts there batting right-handed. Trucks pitches him. It's good. Ball strike two. Trucks is turning on that steam. So he can throw a fast ball. Has two strikes on Harry Lowry now. That pitch is called strike three to Lowry. A fastball on the inside corner. Tied up peanuts. And that for Trucks is strikeout number three. Trucks does it by blazing, blinding speed. He puts all the force of that big, muscular body of his into it and just fires it in there. Let's see what he can do with Cabaretta. Still a left-handed batter. Cabrera swings on one, hits it on the ground, it's a single out into center field for Phil. He takes a wide turn at first, but the ball is fielded out there by Doc Kramer back in, and Cabrera is on with a single. And it's hit number three off trucks. And here is Andy Popko. the third time the cubs have had the tying run on the tigers are in front one to nothing and papdo who has broken he's hitting slump is up there it's hit to deep left field there goes greenberg part he takes it beautifully on the run going to his left and there's a long throw to first and cabaret is hurrying back Ooh, that greenberg control. greenberg had to get up on his horses and stretch those long legs on that six foot five inch terrific frame of there's way off to his left because papco had spiked that one but Greenberg took it on the run, and then he cut loose a tremendous throw toward first. And Cabaretta, who was all the way down to second, had to hustle like sin to get back. That's two out. Capco out. Cabaretta still at first, and here's Bill Nicholson. Nicholson fouled out to Rudy York his first time up in this ballgame. The big six-footer who weighs 200 is standing there. He wants a hit. Swings on one. There's a high pop-up back of shortstop. Skeeter Webb back on the grass, waits for it. It's twisting around, and Webb has to run to get it, and he does. So that's all for Chicago in the last half of the fourth inning. No runs for the Cubs. One hit their third, one base runner left on, and there were no errors. So at the end of four innings of play, the score is Detroit one, Chicago nothing. We're going to pause 10 seconds for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp. B-sharp. Use Gillette blue blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the mutual broadcasting system. This is WGN Chicago serving the Middle West. Here's the top of the fifth inning and Eddie Mayo will hit first for Detroit. They'll be followed by Doc Kramer and Hank Greenberg. We have an excellent view of the playing field here from this booth that during the regular season is occupied by Burt Wilson, who broadcasts the Cub games, and in my book, he's a swell guy, does a swell job. It's been a pleasure being with Burt out here. But okay, Paso on the mound, he's given up only one hit, but one run has been scored off of him, is ready to go to Mayo. Mayo's third time up, he hasn't hit yet. Paso delivers him a fastball strike. I was midway between waist and knees and just over there. And the wind is blowing a bit of dust across beautiful Wrigley Field now. Now Paso is ready to go again. Mayo has flied out and grounded out in two previous appearances this game. Here it comes. Mayo swings on it. There's a ground ball to the left of the third baseman. Hack stops it. The throw over to Cabaretta in time. Mayo giving it a terrific rundown was out by a stride. That was a nice play by Hack and that is the great Stan Hack himself in person on that play. One out for Detroit. Top of the fifth. Here's Doc Kramer, the old fox hunter. That's left-handed. He hasn't lifted the ball out of the infield in this game yet. Swings on one. There's a high one going out into left field. Peanuts Lowry to his right is running under it, and he has to run to get it as the wind twists the ball away from him, but he got it. As we've remarked, that's a bad sky up there today. It's being whipped around by very stiff breezes. Typical, of course, in many seasons of the Windy City. But Peanuts Lowry got that one, and that makes it two outs for Detroit in the top of the fifth, and here is Hank Greenberg. Greenberg has nary a hit off Passau in this series, and he's faced him five times. This is his sixth attempt. Passau works. Call strike. Greenberg leaning away from it, and the ball dipsy-dood in and over, and fooled Big Hank. Greenberg stands straight up as we've told you repeatedly, holds the bat behind his shoulder, takes that one, it's just inside, right across the chest, but a little too close to him. One ball, one strike. One to nothing, Detroit leads. Greenberg swings on that one, there's a tremendous tie ball, hit deep into left field, back, is Lowry, and back almost to the vines. He pulls it in, and he had to go running around under that because the wind was twisting it, too. So Greenberg is out, and that is all for Detroit in the top of the fifth inning. No runs, no hits, nobody left on, and there were no Chicago errors. So as we head for the last half of the fifth inning, the score is Detroit 1, Chicago nothing. And now the last half of the fifth inning, the last half of the ball game of this sixth game of the World Series, and it gives me pleasure to bring back in for the play-for-play description of the remainder of this game, my colleague on these broadcasts, Big Al Helper. Al, here she is. All right, Bill, and it has been up to this point a very swell ball game. As a matter of fact, since the second inning, in which Detroit scored a run, this guy, Claude Carceau, has been right now invincible. Out on the mound now for the Detroit Tigers is Big Fire Trucks, and he's pitching now to Mickey Livingston. The right-hand hitter takes a fast curve in for a strike. No balls, one strike is the count on Livingston. He hit into a very funny double play back in the second inning. The score is Detroit one and Chicago nothing. And three times the Cubs have had the time run on and haven't been able to work it around. There's a ball hit very solidly out into right center field that drops in for a base hit. It's a single for Mickey Livingston to open the last half of the fifth inning. Roger Kramer took it on the skip, fired it back in. And that is hit number four of Virgil Trucks. Trucks has given up four hits. Claude Passo has given up but one. And now for the fourth time, the tying run is on for Chicago. And here's Hughes. And an attempted but is good. Back past the mound. Judy York picks it up. The throw is not in time, the first place. And all hands are safe. ball was very nicely bunted back past the mound to the right side by Hughes, the second with the shortstop, and Rudy York came in fast from first base when fire Trucks reached down to get that ball and couldn't do it, York backed him up. His throw was to first base to Eddie Mayo covering all right, but it was too late it's a base hit. Claude Passeau attempts to bunt the first pitch and drops it down foul to the right of the plate for strike one. So here's the situation in the last half of the fifth inning. Livingston single to center, Hughes with his bunt single is on at first. Runners at first and second now for Chicago. The trying run has been moved down to second base. That's Mickey Livingston, the catcher. Trucks has given up five hits so far to the Cubs. They're snarling back here in the last of the fifth inning. Bucks delivers, and Passo attempts to push a button fouls it back onto the screen. That's strike two. And the thousands here at Wrigley Field in Chicago have suddenly come to life, fully realizing that this is a grand opportunity for the Chicago Cubs. As the score stands, Detroit one and Chicago nothing. Todd Passo has his opportunity here of getting himself back into the ball game. He struck out back in the third inning, so he's 0 for 1 today. Down comes the next pitch, Passo hits it back to the mound. Trucks plays it back to third base to outlaw. The throw comes in, but not in time. Virgil Trucks, as Claude Passo hit back to the mound, elected to try for the runner at third base. His throw to third was a little high to Jimmy Outlaw, and Livingston came sliding in, and the bases are loaded, no outs. Last half of the fifth inning. And the Cubs are really giving the Detroit Tigers fits right now. So that will go as a fielder's choice, which will put Claude Passo at first. Hughes has moved over to second. Mickey Livingston, the tying run with no outs, is on at third, and here is Stanley Hack. Great day in the morning. Complete complexion of this ball game right now has changed. The Detroit infield is playing up very close, hoping, of course, to have the opportunity of cutting the runoff at the plate. And George Caster is very hurriedly getting ready for the Detroit target. Trucks takes his sign from Richards, delivers to the plate, and there's a fastball hit back to the middle for a base hit. In comes one run. In comes Hughes with the second run. And the Cubs lead 2-1. to one. The throw-in at the plate from center field. It got away from Paul Richards, and the runners advanced to base. The crowd had come up, grounded us out, and we were unable to tell you about it when it happened. But it's a single for Stanley Hack to drive in two runs with Livingston scoring from third base, and Hughes coming in from second, and that is hit number six and runs one and two of trucks. And when that peg came in from center field and got away from Richards back at the plate, Hack went on down and took his position at second. And Claude Passo, who was already at second, scooted over and took his position at third base. And now the Cubs have runners at second and third. Just a moment. Just a moment. It's considered a hit and an error. It's considered a hit. And put Stanley Hack on at second base. On the error. On Paul Richards at the plate. Well, the complete complexion of this ball game here in the fifth inning certainly has changed. God Passo is on its third. And Richards' error. And the batter up at the plate now is Don Johnson. And there's a lot riding on every pitch right now. Down comes the first one, and Johnson swings on it and fouls it back into the stand. Very quickly here in the fifth inning, the Cubs have scored twice, and there are still no outs. And they have runners at second and third. Ducks goes, there's the ball hit right down to second base. It's picked up by Mayo. He drives the runners back in, throws to Rudy York for the out. And that's the first one here in the fifth inning. Johnson being thrown out by second baseman, Eddie Mayo of Detroit. Now with one out in the last of the fifth inning, Chicago still having runners at second and third. That's Hackett second. And at third, Claude Passo. The batter is Peanut Slowry He hasn't batted in a run yet in the series, and he has his opportunity right now. Little right-handed hitter standing very deep at the plate. Trucks checks Passo at third. Looks down and takes his sign now from Paul Richards. A pretty tense moment. The Cubs are leading two to one. They got up the hammers here in the last half of the fifth inning and went to work. That Detroit infield is still playing up tight, very close. Trucks pitches. Lowry takes it the plate high for ball one. Trucks is very carefully studying each pitch. He knows to make a mistake here may be fatal. Lowry, with a lot of pressure on his shoulders, is bent over the plate. Pumps that bat back and forth vigorously. Down comes the next pitch. Lowry takes a high inside curve that gets away from Richards, but the runners hold on. Richards gets after it. Picks it up. Of course, that's just ball two to Lowry. That was a high inside curve right off the point of his chin. Right now, Trucks has come down to the plate, and he's talking to Paul Richards, as time has been called. Now the Detroit battery is in accord as to what they're going to do with Lowry. The outfield is fanned around the left a little Peanuts and playing him very deep, especially Hank Greenberg out in left field. He's playing way back deep. Rod Paso at third with his windbreaker on, down at second, Stanley Hack, who is allowed to take second on Richard's error, is moving off at second base. First is open, one out, last half of inning number five, and the Cubs lead two to one. Trucks pumps, delivers, there's a curveball. ball that's high Ball all three. Three balls, no strikes, that's a count on Peanuts Lowry. Little fella spreads his legs even wider apart down at the plate, bends over a little more sharply from the waist. Trucks, six foot, 195 pound right-hander delivers, Larry takes, and it's inside and high for Ball four to load him up. That is the second base on balls given up by Trucks. And that's only the fifth one he's given up in all of his series pitching so far here in 1945. But here in the last half of the fifth inning, the Cubs have scored a pair of runs to lead 2-1. to They have one out, the bases are loaded, and here is Phil Cabaretta, who has had one hit and two at-bats in this game this afternoon. He got a single in the fourth inning back through the middle. George Caster getting ready for Detroit in the bullpen. Down comes the pitch, Cabaretta smacks one pass, second out into right center field. Passo comes in to score the third run, Hacks right behind him, he too scores, and it's 4-1 Chicago. I think that's going to be all for Virgil Fire Trucks. He can't get past the fifth inning. And George Castor, the veteran right-hander, who has acquired from the St. Louis Browns the latter portion of the season here in 1945, is coming on to do the pitching for the Detroit Tigers. So let's see now. Virgil Trucks gave up uh, seven hits and four runs. And he pitched himself four and one-third innings. So that means in World Series play, He's pitched 13 and one-third innings. And Trucks is out of there now. And George Caster, C-A-S-T-E-R, is coming on. And he'll pitch first of all to center fielder Andy Papko. He'll pitch to Papko here in the fifth inning. And this ball game has turned completely inside out. Lowry is at third. Cabaretta is at first and one out. Down comes the first caster pitch, and it's swung on by Papstow, and there's a high pop-up down by third base, right in fair territory. Jimmy Outlaw grabs it for the out and caster has put down the first man he has faced. So that's the second Chicago out here in the fifth inning. Now the ninth man to come up for Chicago, and that's Bill Nicholson. Coming up to the plate now, and he's gone 0 for 2 in this afternoon's ball game. In the second inning, he fouled up and out to Rudy York, and in the fourth inning, he popped up and out to Peter Webb, the shortstop. The left-handed hitter looks even more belligerent as he takes the first pitch up against his chest for ball one. This is George Caster, now pitching for the Detroit target. Caster leans forward, takes his sign from Richards, now delivers the plate, Nicholson hits a foul ball back to first base on the ground all the way. So it's one and one. One ball, one strike. And down in the bullpen for the Detroit Tigers, I believe that's busy trout warming up. There's another conference now, as time has called here in the fifth inning. George Caster and Paul Richards are making it up between them just how they're going to continue the pitch to Bill Nicholson. Here for Chicago in the fifth inning, they've scored four times and now lead four to one over the Detroit Tigers. Runners at first and third, two outs. And here's Nicholson with a count of one and one. Caster delivers and Nicholson swings and there's a foul ball back onto the screen. That means the count on Big Bill is one and two. One ball, two strikes. Caster's got his work very definitely cut out for him. It's a pretty tough spot to relieve in a place like this. He delivers a knuckler. swung on a miss by Nicholson for strike three. And that's all for the Cubs here in the fifth inning. However. They picked themselves up four runs. I will count up the hits for you. One, two, three, four. Is that what you get, Bill? Four runs on four hits, two men left, and there, were, there was one, Chicago, uh, one Detroit error. That was on Richards, the catcher, as he failed to get a throw in from center field. So at the end of five full innings of play, the score stands Chicago four and Detroit one. Now, let's set the Cubs for you defensively as we start the top half of the sixth inning. Claude Passo is pitching. Mickey Livingston is going to catch At first base is Phil Cabaretta. At second base is Don Johnson. Hughes, Roy Hughes, is at shortstop. Stanley Hack is at third. Out in left field is Harry Peanuts-Lowry. In center field is Andy Pascoe. And in right field, Bill Nichols. The batter coming up there now is Roy Cullenbine, who was walked in the second and was safe at first base when an error was committed to allow line to get there. That was Don John Johnson's error. He hits left-handed, and Passo feeds him a curveball that's in and over for a called strike. This Passo is a pretty uh, tough pitcher when he's a front-runner, and he's a front-runner now. His club has gotten him a three-run advantage. Passo delivers now. Columbine hits one back past on the on to second base. And Don John Johnson can't come up with it. Tarems off his glove, rolls up his arm, and flips all the way back to shortstop. And Cullen Vine is on at first base. It's a base hit for Cullen Vine. That was a pretty hard hit ground ball. So he hits one right off the second baseman's glove. And that's the second hit given up by Passo. And the batter now is Rudy York. Old Kickapoo got himself a double in the right center field back in the second inning, but he fouled up and out to Cabaretta back in the fourth. So Rudy has had one hit, a double, in two at bats. Passo checks the runner back over his shoulder, goes to the plate, and York takes. And there's a low curve under the knees for ball one. It's a four to one ball game in favor of Chicago. We're in the top half of inning number six. Cullen Bond has just singled, and he's on at first. York, a big right hand hitter, trying to do something with Claude Passo, swings on the next pitch and fouls it right off the end of his back down toward the Tiger dugout. So the count on York is one and one. One ball, one strike. Cullenbine is uh, playing it very safely there at first base. He doesn't take much of a lead. The outfield is fanned around the left and is playing very deep to Rudy York. Passo delivers. York swings, and there's a high foul ball back at first base and it floats over into the stand. All the count on York is one ball, two strikes. Passo motions uh, Pafko to get uh, farther over into left center field, and he does. Pasco gets himself ready. Now Paso looks out and checks him and nods. That's where he wants him to play. So the pitch, the plate is suited up a call, strike three. The peg goes down to second, gets away from Johnson, and the winner is safe. That's Cullenbein. So York strikes out. And Cullenbein will undoubtedly be given a stolen base. And Livingston pegged that ball down to Johnson, but it was low and into the dirt and got away from Johnson. Cullenbein is on at second. So that is the first strikeout for Claude Passeau. And Cullen Vine on at second base now as Jimmy Outlaw comes wandering up there to bat. Outlaw was walked in the second. Was thrown out by Johnson in the fourth. So he's 0 for 1. He's a little right-handed batter. And the Chicago Cubs were trying to pull the hidden ball trick on Roy Cullen Vine with Hughes holding that ball at shortstop. But uh, Cullen Vine was well aware of the fact that Hughes had that ball, so he just stood on second until Roy gave it up to the pitcher, Claude Passo. You know, the Cubs have worked it a couple of times this year, that hidden ball trick. Worked it in some very strategic spots, too. Now, here comes the pitch to the plate. It swung on, hit right back to the mound. Passo grabs it, fires it over to first base to Cabaretta. And that is all for little Jimmy Outlaw. As a matter of fact, that line drive was almost held by Passo. We're in the top of the sixth inning now, with a runner at second for Detroit, two outs. And Paul Richards, the catcher, is scheduled to hit. But it's not going to be Richards. I believe it's going to be Bobby Mayer who played the greater portion of baseball last year for Buffalo. It's Bob Mayer going to hit for Richards. Bobby Mayer is going to bat for Richards here in the sixth inning. That means we're going to have a new catcher for the Detroit Tigers in the last half of the sixth inning. But Mayer has walked up to the plate. He's a right-hand hitter. A short squat, well put together, fellow, with legs wide spread apart. By trade, Mayer is an infield. Bob Mayer stands 5'9", weighs 180 pounds, he's from Dunellen, New Jersey, 28-year-old fella that uh, looks every bit an athlete, and certainly is one. There is a fast pitch to him as Passo offers the first one, and it's a curveball just off the short ribs for ball one, right tight up against the hitter. This is Bob Mayer hitting for Paul Richards. Passo stretches, looks back at Columbine, delivers the plate. Mayer takes it, and it's in there for a strike. That one didn't have a lot of zip on it, but Claude Passo had a nice curve working in that time. It was about a medium speed change of pace. The other count on Bob Mayer, hitting for Paul Richards, is one and one. Passo delivers, Mayer hits one right back to the mound, and once more, Claude Passo knocks it down. Picks it up, throws it over to Phil Cabaretta, but not in time, and it's a base hit for Bob Mayer. That was a hard hit ball right back to the mound and Claude Passo once more threw that glove up. But this time it was a glove hand he threw up. The ball cammed off his glove, rolled to his left, back toward first base. And Claude Passo chased it, picked it up, tried to flip it very quickly to Phil Cabaretta, but he wasn't able to do so. Now Johnny McHale is going to come up and do a little hitting. Of course he'll be batting for George Castor. This is the third time he's appeared as a pinch hitter batting here in the sixth inning. That means we're going to probably have Tommy Bridges in the last half of any number six. Of course, with that base hit, smacked back off the pitcher's glove by pinch hitter Bob Mayer here in the sixth inning. Cullen by Cullenbine moved down and took third easily and that is hit number three off pass Major. Major. McHale. Johnny McHale has just been officially announced here at Wrigley Field McHale. in Chicago and he's batting for George Castor. So Castor, in his work this afternoon, pitches two-thirds of an inning and goes out. McHale is tall and slender, it's left-handed. Six feet three, weighs 200 pounds, and he's a native of Detroit. 24-year-old fella, very clean-cut guy, as a matter of fact. I checks his runners at first and third, delivers the plate, and there's a curve in for a strike. No balls, one strike. Now McHale at the plate, swings on the next pitch, and doesn't get it. Passo had a fast curve zipping in there just over the inside corner, just under the letters of the shirt. So the count on pinch hitter McHale is no balls, two strikes. It means we're going to have a new battery for the Detroit Tigers in the last half of inning number six. It's a four to one ball game in favor of Chicago over Detroit. Detroit has runners at first and third. Two outs. Pitch to the plate is taken by McHale and it's a fast curve outside. That's ball one. One ball, two strikes. Passo takes his sign now from Livingston. They both nod. They know what this one's going to be. Peso stretches, settles down. Here comes his one and two delivery. McHale takes it, and it's in there for call strike three. Before Detroit in the sixth inning, no runs, two hits, two men left, and there were no Chicago errors. And Passo picks up his second strikeout. So at the end of five and a half innings of play, the score stands, Chicago four and Detroit one. Because someone misread instructions, modern pitchers throw the ball six inches farther than the 60 feet intended years ago when the distance was increased from 50 feet. It's no accident, however, that Gillette shaving cream produces up to four times as much lather as brands price the same. No, sir. Gillette chemists see to that. Also, they make sure Gillette shaving cream produces a sponge-like lather, that holds a barrel of water and releases it freely, so that your whiskers get a thorough soaking and soften up in a hurry for smooth, easy shaving. Men, Gillette lather shaving cream stays wet on your face and keeps your whiskers properly conditioned while you shave. Moreover. It is kind to your skin and has a fleeting fragrance men prefer. You get cleaner, smoother, better-looking shades, and save money too. When you use Gillette Lather Shaving Cream, you do save money at a quarter. Now here at Wrigley Field in Chicago, we're to have the last half of inning number six. And the first man to come up to the plate We'll be out there in just a moment. We'd like to set the uh, Detroit Tigers for you defensively as we go into the last half of the sixth inning. It looks as though Swift is going to come in all right to do the catching for Detroit. Yes, Swift is coming in. It's going to be Swift to do the catching for the Detroit Tigers. We as yet have not been given the pitcher for Detroit. We assume it will be Tommy Bridges. However. We as yet are not quite sure because we are having a lot of activity down in the bullpen of the Detroit Tigers. However, we do know that we're going to have a new battery. And Steve O'Neill is taking his good old time about announcing the pitcher that's to come out. But I believe it's the little game rooster Tommy Bridges that's going to come out. There's Tommy Bridges, a veteran of the wars for Detroit. And he's coming out right now. Tommy Bridges, standing 5'11", and 165. He's a 38-year-old right-hander from Gordonsville, Tennessee. And it's good to see Tommy Bridges back down on that mound. Tommy served quite a bit of time in the armed forces. But he's back once again, and he's out there where he likes to be in World Series play. So Bridges is pitching here in the last half of the sixth inning. And his battery made a Swift. S-W-I-F-T, Bob Swift. is going the catch him. So that's the new battery for the Detroit Tigers. Tommy Bridges pitching, and Bob Swift catching. The rest of the ball club defensively remains the same. Rudy York is at first. At second is Eddie Mayo. At shortstop is Skeeter Webb. At third base is Jimmy Outlaw. Out in left field is big Hank Greenberg. In center field, the veteran Doc Kramer. And in right field, Roy Kellenbach. And the first man to come up to the plate is Livingston for the Chicago Cubs. Livingston came up back in the fifth inning and smacked himself by a very sharp single. Hit out into center field. Livingston came also around a score run in that big uh, four-run, five-fifth inning that the Cubs put on here at Wrigley Field. Now he's climbing in at the plate right now to face Tommy Bridges, the right-hander. Tommy stretches that right arm of his out on the mound. There's a fellow that's got a lot of competitive spirit as Tommy Bridges. He's one of the fine figures of baseball. Little Tommy throws the first pitch, there's a fast curve in for a strike. Bridges looks just as fast as he did the last time I saw him. Bridges blowing on his pitching hand to keep it warm. Now he's ready. Throws to Livingston. There's a curve in for a call strike again. No balls, two strikes. There's a count on Mickey Livingston, the first hitter up for Chicago here in the last half of the sixth inning. Bridges pumps, throws on two, a curve ball It's low and into the dirt for ball one. Bridges ready with the one and two pitch to Livingston. Mickey's standing deep at the plate, hitting right-handed. Bridges delivers, and Livingston swings, and there's a lofty fly ball going out into left field. Hank Greenberg comes up in a big hurry. He's under it and drops it. And running it out, Livingston is trying for second and gets into second base. Hank Greenberg came in very fast. Was tried to reach down around his shoebox to pick up one for an out. And the ball turned off his glove and dropped in front of him. And Hank kicked that ball up and fired it into second base, but by that time, Livingston was already there. So Chicago now has a base runner on its second base, and it's a base hit. It's going to be a two-bagger. As it was figured, that Hank Greenberg would not have made that catch. However, he did get his glove on it and wasn't able to quite hold it, but it's a double for Livingston, hit into left field, and that is hit number one off Bridges and hit number eight for Chicago. And the batter now is Hughes, who's had one hit and two drives just pitches him and Hughes swings on one, hits it just inside of first base, out into the right field corner. Here comes Livingston around third. He's being waved on in, and it's a two-bagger standing up for Hughes. So the Chicago Cubs. Pick up another run here in the last half of the sixth inning to now lead five to one. Claude Passo is coming up to the plate. Listen. Now Claude Passo has moved in there. Tommy Bridges, who has been 14 years with Detroit, 38 year old right hander, who was a sergeant for two years in Uncle Sam's army. He's out here pitching once more in the World Series. He's going to throw to Claude Passo. There's a high curve, and Passo tries to bunt it, misses it completely. And the throw comes down to second base, and it catches off the runner, who is Hughes, and he breaks the third, and the throw comes down from second base on the third. And Jimmy Outlaw spots it on him, sliding in for the tag, and the out. Well, the count of the plate is strike one on Claude Passo as he missed that attempt to bunt. Hughes is out at third base, sort of uh, out the way of the big horn, but nevertheless he's out. From the catcher to the second baseman and down to the third baseman. Tasso takes the next pitch under his knees low by Tommy Bridges for ball one. One ball, one strike. So Hughes was trying for third and was gotten at third very nicely. One run has been scored by Chicago here in the sixth inning and they lead five to one. Bridges pitches, Pesso swings, and there's a high foul ball out back to first base, and it's going over and into the stands. So the count on Pesso now is one ball, two strikes. Down in the bullpen for Detroit, old flutterball Jim Tobin is starting to get ready. This Tommy Bridges, who is out on the mound right now for Detroit, in World Series play in the past, has won four games and lost one. Throws to the plate and Tassel swings on one, hits a blooper down to second base, and Eddie Mayo grabs it for the out. Sort of a half-line drive. It was hit right down to second base to Mayo. The batter is Stanley Hack. Hack moves in there now, hits left-handed. He's had two hits and two at-bats this afternoon. That's two official at-bats. He was up there three times but walked once. Bridges comes down with his first pitch, and it's a fast one through there for a strike. He throws again and hacks after a high curve and misses it for strike two. This Bridges, uh, memory serves me rightly, back in 1935, pitched and won the deciding game for, against the Chicago oh. Cubs to put the Detroit Tigers in as world champions that year. He throws to the plate now, and Hack takes a curve that bites into the dirt in front of the plate. Of course, that's ball one. One ball, two strikes. That's the count on Stanley Hack here in the last half of the sixth inning. Two outs, nobody on, and one run has been scored by Chicago here in the sixth, and they lead five to one. Bridges easily over his head now. Delivers to the plate, and Hack takes. It's low, under his knees, for ball two. Two balls, two strikes. Bridges, wiping his hand across the the lettering of his shirt front. Now pumps, delivers two and two. There's a high curve on the outside, the ball three. Three and two is the count now on Stanley Hack. With two away in the last half of the sixth inning. No base runners and one score has come in. A pair of doubles were put together by Chicago here in the sixth, the Livingston and Hughes. The next pitch is swung on by Hack and there's a bounding ball to short. Skeeter Webb handles it flawlessly, throws to first base and that is all for Hack, going out from short to first. So in the sixth inning for the Chicago Cubs, they pick up one run on two hits. Nobody left, and there were no errors on the part of the Detroit Tigers. So at the end of six innings of play, the score stands at 5-1 to one in favor of Chicago over Detroit. We're going into the top half of inning number seven, and the first man up in the seventh inning for Detroit will be their leadoff hitter, Skeeter Webb. Now let's set the Chicago Cubs for you defensively as we start the seventh inning. Out on the mound is Claude Passo, who has given up just three hits so far to the Detroit Tigers. His battery mate is Mickey Livingston. At first base is Phil Cabaretta. At second base, Don Johnson. At third base is Stanley Hack. The shortstop is Roy Hughes. Out in left field is Peanuts Lowry. In center field is Andy Papco. And in right field, Bill Nicholson that's how we are to begin the top half of the seventh inning. Once again, in case you tuned in late, the score, Chicago Cubs five and the Detroit Tigers one. The Cubs picked up uh, seven hits off trucks and picked up four runs. They got uh, two hits and one run off Bridges. And Hostetler is going to bat for Skeeter Webb. That'll be Chuck Hostetler. born in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. He's six feet, weighs 175 pounds, and he's just a kid at 40 years of age. It's left-handed. Hostetler waiting. Down comes the first pitch to him, and it's a fast curve under his knees for ball one. So this is Chuck Hostetler, H-O-S-T-E-T-L-E-R. so gets ready, side-arms his next pitch in, and it's good for a strike. Just above the knees and right through the middle. Probably we'll have Joe Hoover playing shortstop for the Tigers when they come in defensively in the last half of the seventh inning. Now Paso throws one and one. Hostetler swings and there's a ground ball down to Hackett. Bounces off his shoulder. Hack grabs it now and does not make a throw. That was a hard hit ground ball down to Stanley Hackett third. He tried to come up with it. The ball rolled up and hit him in the chest. Bounced high. And by the time he picked it up, He was charged with an error when he couldn't make a throw. So Stanley Hack has committed an error, and that is the second error against Chicago here this afternoon, and it's the fifth error they have in the series. And Hostetler batting for Webb is on here in the seventh inning by Hack's error at third base. The batter now is Eddie Mayo, hitting left-handed. Paso checks his runner, Hostetler, back at first base, now throws to the plate, and Mayo takes a nice curve in for a strike. No balls, one strike. Hostetler, 40-year-old veteran, is down at first base. He doesn't take a very big lead. He can run pretty well despite his age. Hustle throws, there's a ball hit down to first base. Cabaretta comes up with it. And his only chance for a play is to step over on first base for the out with Hostetler moving down to second. So that's the first out for Detroit here in the top of the seventh inning. Now Detroit has Hostetler at second. One out and the batter is Doc Kramer. This afternoon, Kramer has been up there three times, and he's been held hitless. Yesterday, Kramer had one for four. So in two days' work now, he's one for seven. The veteran hits left-handed. Pesso throws a knuckler in there that's hit through the hole between short and third, and out into left field. It's a base hit. Here comes Larry Sewell in, and Larry has gotten the man trapped between home and third base simply because... He fell down as he was rounding third and the throw came into Livingston, he immediately returned that ball back to third base to Stan Hack. As the runner, Hostetler tried to get back to third and he was tagged out. Then on the throw in, Kramer went down and took second base. So it's a single off Claude Passo and that's the fourth hit given up by Claude. And he moved Hostetler down to third all right, but Hostetler fell down as he rounded third and tried for home. And the throw came in from Larry. back to the catcher, Livingston, and the peg was made back to third base, and the out was affected on Hostetler. So now, quickly, there are two outs, and Kramer's on at second. And the batter is Hank Greenberg, and the score still stands five for Chicago, one for the Tigers. Rod Paso taking a little time out of the mound. He's kicking the mud out of his spikes. That was a pretty close call for him. Marstetler tried to score from second base. And he had the misfortune of falling down as he rounded third. That's pitches Greenberg and there's a fast curve in for a strike. That's all tilling the soil out of the mound. He's kicking dirt all over the place with those spikes of his taking his good old time. Detroit has threatened him here in the seventh inning, but an unfortunate occurrence and an incident has helped the Chicago cars considerably. Al Paso is ready, delivers to the plate, 0-1. It's a fast curve low. That levels the count off to Greenberg at one ball, one strike. Kramer is on at second, a single to left, and took second on the throw in. There was a play made for him, all right, but it was much too late. Kramer leads down off second base. He's the only base runner for Detroit. Two outs, top of the seventh. Pesso delivers to the plate, and Greenberg takes, and there's a high curve right under his chin. A ball two. Dizzy Trout is getting ready down in the Tiger bullpen. Al Paso checks his runner at second. That's Kramer. Goes into his stretch again. Checks Kramer at second. Now throws to the plate. Greenberg takes a high curve off the peak of the cap for ball three. Hack this afternoon has gone over three. A pair of fly balls to left field, and in the third inning he was thrown out by the then shortstop for a Al Paso is ready. Delivers to him. Greenberg backs up from an inside curve for ball four, and that is based on balls number five off Passo. Of course, he's given a couple up for strategy. But Greenberg is on at first now. Kramer is on at second. There are two outs, and the score stands Chicago five, and Detroit one. And the batter is Roy Cullenbine. Cullenbine got himself a stretch single back to second base in sixth inning. He was a base run in the fourth on Johnson's error. Pesso juggling that ball around in his net now. checks his runners once more. throws to the plate. Columbine swings on, hits it right back through the middle out into center field for a single. Brock Kramer comes around third. He comes in to score the second Detroit run. And Greenberg holds on at second base as he advances there. Columbine hits through the middle and bats in his fourth run of the series. And that is hit number five off Passo in run number two. Greenberg is now on at second base. The Detroit has scored here in the seventh inning. I believe Charlie Grimm may take Claude Passo out here in this spot. Hank Wise is down at the bullpen and he's ready. And I believe Wise is coming in. Claude Passo is talking to Charlie Grimm right now, and the thousands of fans get up and start to yell no, no, no. But the man that knows more about that than anyone else is the fellow that's running this ball club right here at Chicago, and that's Charlie Grimm. And here comes Hank Wise into relief in the seventh inning. And Claude Passo is through after pitching six and two-third innings. Hank Wise is being called upon. Apparently, Charlie Grimm believes, as does Claude Passo, that that right hand of his is probably uh, starting to feel the strain, the pain that has been going through it ever since he was cracked back in the sixth inning. An outlaw hits back to the mound. Now here's a round of applause for Paso as he comes off the mound.
1: <laughs>
0: Henry Wise has just been announced for the thousands here at Wrigley Field, and while he throws a few warm-up pitches now, gets ready to pitch to Rudy York here in the seventh inning, we've got just enough time to pause ten seconds for station identification. Remember men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use your love blue blades with the sharpest edges ever home. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago serving the Midwest. Right back here at Wrigley Field in Chicago. We're in the top half of the seventh inning of the sixth game of the World Series. And Henry Wise is ready to go. He has just released Claude Passeau. He's going to try to save this game for Claude. The score stands 5-2 to two in favor of the Chicago Cubs. Wise makes his first pitch, and New York swings on it and hits a foul down to the left of the plate to strike one. Henry Wise has been uh, quite a ball player for Chicago this year. As a matter of fact, uh, he's the fellow that... Uh, Everyone around the circuit claims pitched the Chicago Cubs into the pennant this year, along with Hank Barroa. Wise isn't very big. Meaning you know that is he doesn't look very big when you take a look at Greenberg, York, and Cullenbine. Right now, York takes a look at a curveball that's outside. That's ball one. One ball, one strike. Because Hank Wise is just a half inch under six feet and weighs about 180 pounds. York swings on the next pitch There's a solid spike hit into left field for a single. Big Greenberg is coming around third. He's coming on in to score. And it's now a 5-3 ball game in favor of the Cubs. This has all happened with two outs. York, a solid line drive into left field for a single. And Cullenbein moves down to second and holds on. Greenberg came around from second to score. And that's the second run that Detroit has scored here in the seventh inning. That hit is off-wise, but the run is off pass Detroit is now five to three in favor of Chicago, and with two outs, Detroit still has runners at first and second. Cullen Bryant at second, York at first, and here is Jimmy Outlaw. He was walked his first at bat. Wise delivers, and there's a fast curve hit right down to second base. Johnson comes up with it, plays it the short way to Hughes for a force out. On Rudy York coming down. So York is forced out at second from second baseman. Johnson to shortstop Hughes. Let's see, in the seventh inning, two runs for the Detroit Tigers on a total of one, two, three hits. A pair of men left on and there was one error. So at the end of six and a half innings of play, the score stands five for the Chicago Cubs and for the Detroit Tigers, three. Well, when I tell you that he's one of the most famous shortstops of all time, the youngest manager ever appointed in the majors, and that he hung up the American League record for double plays? You just know I'm talking about Lou Boudreau of the Cleveland Indians. Come on in here, Lou, and take the mic, and let's fan about the greatest double play combination in shaving history, the Gillette Razor and Gillette Blue blade. Okay,
2: Al, I go for that. There is a great team. The slickest combination I know about. I always use the Gillette Razor, so naturally I use Gillette Blue Blades. On my scorecard, no other blades compare with them. Thanks, Lou Boudreau. Say, you look sharp. Uh, Thanks, Al. I feel sharp. Ah, there you have it, men.
0: For the best-looking shaves of your life, the quickest and easiest by far, get hep to the Gillette Razor in today's Gillette Blue Blade. Look sharp. Feel sharp. Be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever home. And Hoover goes to shortstop now for the Detroit Tigers in the last half of the seventh inning. That's the only change in the inner defense and the batter up for Chicago. Here in the seventh inning is Don Johnson, our second baseman. He hits right-handed. Bridges feeds him a fast curve that's in and over for a called strike. Now, Bridges is ready once more. Throws a high hook that swung on and drilled foul back to first base and into the field seats. Now, very quickly, the count on Johnson. is no balls, two strikes. It's a 5-3 to ball game in favor of the Chicago Cubs. Set the Tigers for you defensively, just the moment we have an opportunity. We can tell you that it's Bridges pitching and Bob Swift catching. Right now, Bridges is ready to deliver to the plate to Don Johnson, the Chicago second baseman. Here comes the on-two pitch; and is taken for a called strike three. And that's all for Johnson. He's out of there very quickly. And that for Bridges is strikeout number one, strikeout number four. Now the inner defense for you, for Detroit. We have a moment's opportunity. Rudy York is still at first. Eddie Mayo is at second. Joe Hoover has gone into shortstop. And Jimmy Outlaw still at third. Now here is Peanuts Lowry up at the plate. And he swings on the first pitch and there's a slow-bounding ball to short. Hoover comes in and he can't come up with it. Hoover had that one get away from him down at shortstop. It was a slow-bounding ball. One of those do-or-you-don't plays. And we all knew that Hoover had to hurry if he was going to throw out Peanuts Lowry because this Peanuts Lowry is awfully fast. But he goes as a base hit for little Harry. Oh, he's on at first base. They hit the shortstop. That is hit number three off Bridges. Hit number 10, as far as Chicago is concerned. And the batter up there now is Phil Cabaretta. Bridges looks back at first base, delivers to the plate, and Cabaretta takes a low, fast one under his knees for ball one. Cabaretta has had two straight hits in his last two at-bats. He pounded one back through the middle in the fourth, the center field. And in the fifth inning, with the infield playing up tight, he pounded one past Mayo into right center for a base hit. Bridges pitches him and There's a high fast curve on the outside for ball two. Bob Swift uh, made a bluff throw to first, but didn't go through with it. Ball's been returned to the mound of Bridges. Lowry leads off at first now. Bridges throws to the plate. Cabaretta takes a curve just off his hips on the inside for ball three. Three balls, no strikes. One off for Chicago, last half of the seventh inning. And the Cubs lead in this ball game 5-3. to three. Now Bridges is ready, down comes the pick. Cavaretta takes, and it's outside for ball four. is walked, now he moves into second. And that is the first base on balls given up by Bridges. And the batter now is Andy Pafko. Papco got a hit, his first at bat. That was back in the second inning. But he died in a very peculiar double play. And since that time, in the fourth and fifth, he hasn't been able to hit. Now with one out and runners at first and second, Papko takes the first pitch from Bridges, good for a strike. The ball's one strike is the count on right-handed hitting Andy Papko. And he's standing a little deeper at the plate now than he has been previously. Bridges, an artist with the curveball, is ready. Again, checking his base runner, slows to the plate. And Papko swings, as a long drive deep into left field. It's way back there. Hank Greenberg goes back right up against the wall and makes the catch. A nice running catch by Hank Greenberg, and the runners had broken and they had to hustle back in. Andy Pafko caught a hold of one, all right, but Hank Greenberg laid him just right, deep in left field. Boy, that really brought the thousands of fans here at Rigby Field right up off the chairs. But for a minute, the Andy Pafko may have hit one. Time is being called down on the diamond now. Once more ball down in the bullpen had gotten away from the bullpen catcher and had rolled out into right field. But here's the situation now in the last half of the seventh inning. The Cubs have runners at first and second, two outs, and here is Bill Nicholson, who is face base hit hungry. He's been up there three times and has gone 0 for 3. He fouled up to Cabaretta and fouled out of there in the second inning. Then in the fourth inning, he popped up to the shortstop, who was then Skeeter Webb, and he struck out in the fifth inning. Now we're ready to go with Nicholson stepping in, hitting left-handed and standing deep to the plate and sort of crowding it slightly from behind. Bridges settles down, looks at his base runner, throws to the plate, and drives Nicholson back with a curve for ball one. One ball, no strikes, last of the seventh, four Chicago runners at first and second, two outs. They lead five to three. Bridges ready, delivers, Nicholson takes. A low curve under his knees. That's ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Bridges will be pitching very carefully to Nicholson as Bill hits a long ball. Lowry leads off second, Cavarretta leads off first. Down comes the pitch, Nicholson swings and misses right off the end of his for a strike. Bill was really after that, and swinging from the spikes up. Count on Nicholson now as two balls, one strike. Now we're ready. Bridges checks again, throws to the plate, a hot curve, swung on and fouled off. Now is two and two on Nicholson. Now Bridges is ready. Here comes his two and two delivery to the plate. Nicholson takes it. It's low into the dirt for ball three. That's good. Very nicely came up with that one. it's a three and two count on uh, Bill Nicholson, the Chicago right fielder we told you, Nicholson has gone 0-3 today. It's 5-22 for, for the series. It takes the next pitch in the low for ball four, and that loads the bases. That's the second base on balls given up by Bridges. That is the fourth base on balls handed to Chicago this afternoon as Virgin Pets, the starting pitcher, had given up two. Now the bases are loaded here in the last of the seventh and Mickey Livingston with two archers coming up to the plate. Larry's at third, Cabaretta at second, and Nicholson at first. Bridges pumps once and throws. There's a fast curve that's on the inside just off the belt buckle. for ball one. Livingston so far this afternoon has had a single and a double in three at-bats. getting himself a double. In sixth inning, hit right field. He takes a hard curve right off the peak of the cap for ball two. Tommy Bridges now has gotten behind to this right-handed hitter with two balls and no strikes. The bases are completely jammed with tubs. the boys in trade say, the ducks are on the pond. Now Bridges is ready. Delivers two and nothing. And there's a low curve outside for ball three. Three balls, no strikes It's the count on right-handed hitting Mickey Livingston. The captain of the Chicago Cubs. Bridges pitches, and there's a hard throw for ball four, and that forces in a run. Livingston is going to be credited with batting in a run, and I believe that's going to be all for Tommy Bridges as Steve O'Neill comes out of the Tiger dugout, starts stomping out toward the mound. He wants to talk to this little game rooster that's come on here in the World Series for Detroit. That was the third walk given up by Bridges, and it costs in the second round. And the score right now is six for Chicago and three for Detroit. And I think Al Benton is going to... Yes, here comes Big Al Benton. Maybe the charge, he's coming on to do a little pitching for the Detroit Tigers. Benton has been in two games and has pitched four in the third inning. Benton is on here right now. Benton has pitched some pretty good baseball for Detroit here in the World Series. Here, he told you he pitched four in the third innings. He's given up only five hits, one run. And th- that run incidentally was earned. He's passed no one and struck out four. So that's pretty good uh, pitching. And Benton will pitch first of all here to Hughes the shortstop. Now Hughes is standing up there at the plate. The bases are still loaded. Benton makes his first pitch, and it's a low-fast curve, the ball one. The walk was given to Livingston, forced in a run. He's credited with batting in another run series. That's his fourth, definitely. The next pitch is swung on, and there's a bombing ball hit right back past the mound, and it cannot be gotten by Benton. It cams over to shortstop, and Joe Hoover tries to come up with it, but finally it's Jimmy Outlaw who grabs it. And the bases remain loaded, and another run comes in. Cabaretta. Comes streaking in from third. And it's a base hit, a very solid base hit. For Hughes, and he hit it right back past the shin of Al Benton, the pitcher. So the bases are loaded. Once more, that's another run in. The hit comes off Benton, and the run comes off Bridges. So it's a seven to three ball game now for Chicago. And the batter coming up there is Hank Wise. Wise hitting right-handed. He takes the first pitch from Benton, and the big fella has it in there for a strike. The bases are loaded, two outs. Last half of the seventh inning. The Cubs have scored twice and are threatening even more. Wise reaches for a curve and misses it completely for strike two. Benton pumps, throws. Wise swings, loses his back, and strikes out. Well, that's all for Chicago here in the last of the seventh inning. Benton registers a strikeout. Now let's see and count up the damage in the seventh inning. Two runs for Chicago. They got one, two hits. There were three men left, and there were no errors on the draw. So at the end of seven full innings of play, it is a seven to three ball game in favor of Chicago over Detroit. Well, the top of the eighth inning. And the first man up in the eighth inning is scheduled to be Bob Swift, the catcher. He's coming up there right now. Bob hits right-handed. Bob is just one inch, under six feet, weighs 185 pounds. He's 29 years of age and comes from a place called Kip, Kansas. Bob's a pretty husky fella. He can give that ball a pretty good ride when he gets a hold of it. As far as the uh, series is concerned, he's done a little work for Detroit, however he's only been up once and he's 0 for 1 as far as the series is concerned, so he has no batting percentage. Now he's ready here as a right-handed hitter, not at the 8th inning with the score standing 7 for Chicago, 3 for Detroit. Hank pumps, the right-hander delivers and there's a curve that's in and over for called strike 1. When this ball game started out, it certainly looked as though the Tigers were really going to hand the Cubs a shillelagh. There is a high curve flipped in, but it's just outside for ball one. One ball, one strike. That's the count on Bob Swift. Wise tries another curve, but again it's outside, and that's ball two. See Jim Tobin is still throwing down in the Detroit bullpen, which leads us to believe that the Benton may not hit. Now Wise delivers. A low fast curve at the plate for ball three. And now the count on Bob Swift. It's three balls, one strike. And he's gotten ahead. Hank Wise. Now Wise takes his sign. Delivers. And there's a curve that snaps off outside for ball four. And the first Tiger up in the eighth inning is walk and that's Swift. And he's on at first base. And that's the first base on balls given up by Wise. Looks as though Hub Walker is coming up to hit for Benton. Yes, here he comes. Hub Walker, who spent a good deal of the year up at Buffalo. Hub Walker has just been announced as batting for Benton here in the eighth inning. He was up as a pinch hitter once, and he's all for one. Wise curves him and gets it in a good first strike. Walker, as we said, hits left-handed and stands deep at the plate and sort of away from it. He looks at that way down with the arm. Wise gets ready, delivers him, Walker jumps back from an inside slant for ball one. One ball, one strike is the count on Hub Walker. Hub's no youngster, he's 39 years of age, he's been around baseball a long time. He swings on this next pitch, it's just inside of first base pair, down into the right field corner, there goes Swift digging past third, second and goes on into third, it's a double for Hub Walker, the pinch hitter. Lean into that one. and just between Cabaretta and the first base bag, and out into right field. Now the runners at second and third for Detroit, at the top of the eighth, and nobody out. And that off-wise is hit number two, and that's the seventh hit. As far as the Chicago Cubs pitching, giving up hits to Detroit is concerned, in other words, Detroit has seven hits. Off by on-wise. Down in the bullpen, very hurriedly getting ready for Chicago Ray Prim, or Pop Prim, the 39-year-old left-hander. The boys on the ball club calling Pop. And Harvandenberg, Vandenberg, big six-foot right-hander. But Wise is going to stay in that ball game. Wise is going to pitch right now to Hoover, the right-hand hitting shortstop. If you recall, he came into play in the seventh inning. First pitch to Hoover is a high curve on the outside for ball one. Joe Hoover stands six feet, 175 pounds. He's from Brawley, California. He swings on the next pitch, and there's a ball hit down to Stanley Hack. It bounces off Hack's chest. He picks up throws, not in time. And a run comes in to score from third base for Detroit. Stanley Hack came in and committed an error as he tried to pick one up off the grass. Well, that's a third error for the Chicago Cubs here this afternoon. And that allows Bob Swift to come in from third base. Now it's a six, a seven to four ball game in favor of Chicago. Hoover is on at first base. And of course, Walker held right on at second. So Detroit has runners now at first and second. No outs. And the man up at the plate is Eddie Mayo, the second baseman. He takes a fast curve, it's right through, just above the knees for a called strike. Well, Hank Wise has got a little trouble here in the eighth inning. He delivers to the plate, and Mayo swings on it, and there's a ball laced out into center field. He drops in there for a base hit. In comes one run to score, and there's the try for second base, and a nice throw Mandy Andy Popko to second baseman Don Johnson. The slide, and it's too late. And the out is affected at second base. So it's a single all right for Mayo in the center field. But he's thrown out by center fielder Andy Pothko to second baseman Don Johnson. And Hoover on the play moves all the way around to third base. Coming in easily to score from second is Hub Walker. And I think that's going to be all for Hank Wise. That was the third hit off him. and. First run, the urn, let's see, that's uh, three and two here for Detroit in the eighth inning. That gives them five, and the score stands seven to five. Three here runs were gotten off Paso and two runs off Wise. So it's now a seven to five ball game. Say, so, hey, this has been a knockdown, dragout drag-out affair. Yes, Henry Wise is coming out of the ball game, and Ray Quim, I believe, is coming in. So Red Prim is on the mound here. Wise is out of there. Wise came on to pitch in this ball game in the seventh inning. After Paso had pitched six and two-third innings. And he's pitched a third of this inning, so that means he's pitched two-thirds of an inning, counting that third of an inning he had pitched in the 2 and the third in this one. So he came on in the seventh inning, finished that out, and now has pitched a third here of the eighth inning. Krimm here in the eighth inning will pitch first of all to center fielder to Krimm. Albus Aftar, 39 years of age, is ready to make his first pitch. Two runs have come in here for Detroit here in the eighth inning, and the score is now 7-5 to five in favor of Chicago. Crim is trying to stem the tide. On comes the first pitch. It's hung on by Kramer. And there's a ball dumped out into short left field. Here comes Peanuts Lowry and makes a nice running catch. He up quickly, throws into the plate, but it's too late. As Hoover had tagged up and came on in to score. But there was a nice running catch on the part of Peanuts Lowry. He dove for that ball and actually made a sparkling catch. Kramer's not batted in a run, and it's a 7-6 ball game. That guy, Hoover, tagged up and really streaked across that plate. Now well, that's two outs for Detroit in the eighth inning, and they've scored three times. That run is off-wise. Well, it's a 7-6 to six ball game, and it's kitty by the door. This ball game can belong to anybody as big Hank Greenberg comes wandering up to the plate. And Frem, the southpaw, gets ready and delivers him, and there's a fast one swung on and fouled back into the screen for strike one. Down in the bullpen for the Detroit Tigers, Jim Tobin and Hal Newhouser are both throwing. It's a seven to six ball game in favor of the Chicago Cubs. Howie's ready. Delivers. It's one run. There's a long drive going deep out into left field. Larry's back against the wall. Leans up against the wall, but it's a home run for Hank Greenberg. That ties it up. That guy Greenberg really leaned into an inside pitch and hit it. It was a high deep drive back of left field. Larry backed up against the Ivy, but he couldn't get it. That was way up into the stands for a home run. That ball was hit about 410 feet from home plate, and it's a tied-up ball game at 7-7, the sixth game of this 1945 World Series. Well, that was a hit and a runoff for him, and it's now his ball game to win or lose. Four runs have been scored by Detroit here in the eighth inning. And the batter is Columbine hitting right-handed now against the left-handed offerings of Southpaw Prim. Roy swings on it, there's a bounding ball to shortstop. comes up with a nicely close to Cabaret on the side as retired. We well, let's see what the damage has been in the eighth inning for Detroit. A total of four runs on one, two, three hits. Nobody left. And there was one error and one home run by Hank Greenberg to tie up that ball game. So the score at the end of seven and a half innings of play is seven for Detroit, seven for Chicago. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp, You to let blue blades with the sharpest edges over home. Down on the mound for the Detroit Tigers. Get this now, they want this ball game badly. Dizzy Trout has come in the pitch. Trout pitching now for Detroit. Bob pitching in the 8th inning. He's ready to pitch first of all to Stanley Hack for Struggle. The first pitch is made and it's under the knees of Hack for ball one. The club comes back with his next one. It's a curve high and on the outside. And that's ball two to Stanley Hack. Down in the bullpen for Detroit, just in case Busy Trout doesn't have his stuff today. Stubby Overmeyer and Hal Newhart. both getting ready. A couple of softballs. Hank DeRoy is warming up two down the Chicago bullpen. Trout delivers and there's a fast curve under the knees of Hank. The ball three. The first man up for Chicago here in the last half of the eighth inning. Busy Trout now pitching for Detroit. As a count of three and nothing. Trout pitches and gets it in for a strike, and the count now on hack three-and-one. It's a seven-and-seven seven ball game. And it's really been a fight, believe me, tooth and nail. Trout delivers, and there's a low inside curve for ball four, and hackers walks. So Trout comes in to pitch the eighth inning, and Trout walks. The very first man he faces. up at the plate now for Chicago is Don Johnson. He has gone over for 3 for his work at the plate this afternoon. Kroc throws and there's a neatly placed dunk to the left of the mound. Kroc picks it up, throws it over to first base to the second baseman Eddie Mayo covering, and Hack has been successfully sacrificed to second. So he's in scoring position now as Johnson lays his batting life down, going off from pitcher to the second baseman covering at first. About an hour's peanuts Lowry. He got a hit to deep shortstop back in the seventh inning. And that's the only hit he's had in three official times up this afternoon. Peanuts was locked in the fifth inning. So he's actually up there for his fifth at bat, but only his fourth official one. Last of the eight and the score, seven and seven. There's a fastball hit back to second base. Eddie Mayo picks it up, plays it into Rudy York in plenty of time, and that's all for Lowry. But Hack moves over to third on the play. Bill Cabaretta comes walking up to the plate for Chicago. Cabaretta has had two base hits in three official times here in this game. In the fourth inning, he hit back through the middle for a single. And in the fifth inning, he knocked in a couple of runs with a single in the right center field. The sun has come out very brilliantly here at Wrigley Field in Chicago. We've been playing this ball game, that is the greater portion of it, under gray and overcast skies, but now the sun has broken through. Bill Cabaretta, who has hammered in two runs today, has his opportunity of hammering in the third one and putting his ball club out in front. The score stands seven and seven. Two outs, last of the eighth inning. And Hack is on at third. Drop delivers, and there's a high, fast curve on the outside to a left-hand hitter for ball one. Cavarretta stands very deep in the plate. He crouches over very severely. Drop delivers. Cavarretta swings. There's a fly ball hit out into left field. Hank Greenberg comes up to it, under it, and takes it for the out. And that's all for Chicago here in the eighth inning. So the potential tie-breaking run in Hack died at third base. No runs for Chicago, no hits. One man left, and there were no errors. So at the end of eight full innings of play, we've got a ball game that's all locked up good and tight, like the barn, the back door of the barn, as a matter of fact. It's 7-7. Seven and seven. And I think Hank Baroi is going to come out to do the pitching for the Chicago Cubs. But we're going to pause 10 seconds now for station identification. Remember, men, Look sharp, be sharp, be sharp. Used to let blue blades with the sharpest edges ever hold. This is the Mutual broadcasting system. This is WGM Chicago serving the Middle West. And Hank Leroy here at Wrigley Field in Chicago comes on to pitch the top of the ninth inning. And as he goes out there, he assumes a responsibility for this ball game as it's locked up at seven and seven. Hank has won one ball game and lost one here in the World Series. But it's figured that he's probably the best chance that the Chicago Cubs have against the Detroit Tigers. As when Hank was in the American League, he was, well, held pretty tough on all Tiger hitters. And he, in the ninth inning, is going to face Rudy York as the first batter. So Fordham Hank is on the mound. B-O-R-O-W-I. Hank Baroi pitching the ninth inning for Chicago. Sends a fast one in there. It's hit by York down to third. Hank comes up with this one. Throws it across to first place to full cabaretta. And that is all for Rudy York. Bouncing out from Hock to Cavarina. Well, that's one away for Detroit in the top of the ninth inning. In about an hour, is little Jimmy Outlaw. And regardless of which way the catch jumps, who takes this ball game, we're going going to know this that it's been a hard fought game all the way. Aberroy is ready. Goes to this right handed hitter. And there's a fast one. Swung on and hit out into left field for a solid base hit for Jimmy Outlaw. Lowry takes it on the second skip fires it into second base to Don Johnson. So Outlaw gets himself his first hit of the afternoon. A spiked single into left field. Burrowe has given up his first hit. The batter coming up to the plate is Bob Swift, the catcher. Four Tigers, and fighting back in the eighth inning and put across four runs to tie up the ball game at seven and seven. That's how it stands right now. Matt Swift hitting right handed, standing just off the plate. Outlaw moves off at first base with one away. Roy checks his runner. Goes down to the plate. There goes the runner. The ball is swung out and hit out in the center field for a base hit. Jimmy Outlaw doesn't stop at second. He digs on into third, and it's a hit and run. With the hitter Swift delivering a looping fly ball single in the center field. And that puts Outlaw on at third. That is hit number two off the way. Now with away. the third has runners at Christian third. And um, there's a big conference down at the mound with Hank Arroyd. This is a pretty tough spot for Hank to be in the top of the ninth inning. The score stands at seven and seven. Now coming up to the touchdown. He's coming up to the touchdown. Arroyd is ready. Arroyd's caught in the run. Arroyd's caught in the run and has the ball waiting for him at third base as Mickey Livingston fired his back to third base when Jimmy Outlaw was trapped. So that's the second out here in the top of the ninth inning. It's a fielder's choice, all right. And Couch takes first on the fielder's choice, Just moves down the second on the fielder's choice, And Outlaw is out on a run down between third and half. That play goes shortstop, and the catcher, and back into third base. And the batter is Joe Hoover. Hoover was on in the eighth inning due to Stanley Hacks' error. So he's over 1, actually, as far as the batsman is concerned. He's a right-hand hitter, keeps his feet pretty close together. Stands very deep at the plate. Roy curves him, and medium-speed curveball ball swung on. There's a hot pop-up. Down by first base. Phil Cabaretta gets under it, and Phil's got it for the out. And that's all as the Tigers are turned back in the top of the ninth inning. On the top of the ninth inning for Detroit, no runs, two hits, two men left, and there were no Chicago errors. And believe me, this ballgame is really going down to the last, very last pitch. It's the last half of the ninth inning now at Wrigley Field in Chicago. Our ballgame is locked up at 7-7, seven and seven, and this is the last call for the Chicago Cubs if they want to win this ballgame in the regulation time of nine innings. And the first man up for Chicago is going to be Andy Pafko, and he'll be followed by Bill Nicholson and then by shortstop Roy Hughes if that is the desire of manager Charlie Grimm. And out on the mound, and it's his ball game to win or lose, is Dizzy Trout, the fast fireballer of the Detroit Tigers. Behind the plate will be Bob Swift, which trips her down here to last of the night. Papco swings, hits the ball just inside a third base pair and out into the left field corner. Papco is rounding first on his way to second. Greenberg's chasing the ball. He finally picks it up, and it's a standing up two-bagger. There, Andy Papco. Well, that's the first hit off Trout here in the ball game, and he gives it up in the last half of the ninth inning. And Andy Papco really spiked it right between Jimmy Outlaw and third base and right out along the left field foul line. So with nobody out, the potential winning run for the Chicago Cubs is on at second base. And the man standing at the plate is Bill Nicholson, and he's hammered in more runs than anyone else in the World Series. He's hit in seven of them. And Nicholson's coming up to the plate right now. This afternoon, he has gone all for 3 He walked his last at bat, which was in the seventh inning. Todd delivers him. And Nicholson takes a fast one through there for a strike. Nicholson waits. Todd checks his running. Delivers to the plate. There's an attempted bunt that's fouled off. First that's strike two. And Charlie Grimm's strategy that time was with nobody out to move Tafco down to third from whence he could be scored on a fly ball. No outs last of the night. Tafco opened with a ringing double down the left field line, and he's on at second base. And Cloud is in trouble here. Detroit is fighting with their backs to the wall in the last half of the ninth inning. It's a 7-7 seven and seven ball game, and Chicago has their opportunity of winning it right now. This is the test, the acid test of any pitcher. The delivery of the fighters, hold on a miss. Or strike three, and Nicholson is out of there. That's the first strikeout for Trout. And I don't think that uh, the next man coming up, Livingston, is going to hit. I think Paul Gillespie will probably hit for yes? A left-hand hitter is coming up. Paul Gillespie to hit for Nicky Livingston. This letter just uh, points out to me, and he's absolutely right, that Detroit has now used 18 men here in this game, and uh, the most players used in a ball uh, in a World Series game by one club up until today was 18. The New York Yankees, or the New York um, Giants of the National League in a sixth game of the 1936 World Series used 18 men. So that record has been tied this afternoon. Not will He's ready to pitch to Gillespie, who is in there hitting for Livingston. And the first pitch is a low curve for ball one. Gillespie hits left-handed. He'll probably remain in the catch if we have extra innings. Shot delivers, there's a ball hit right back to the mile. Trout grabs it, looks at second, but he still goes to first. And Gillespie is out. And Popko holds right on at second. So Gillespie is thrown out by pitcher Dizzy Trout. I wonder if Hughes is going to come up and hit now, or whether we're going to have a pinch hitter for Hughes. Looks like we might have Heinz Becker. If Hughes will be lifted, then probably Murillo or Schuster will come in to play the tenth inning. If extra innings is in order this afternoon, Becker is going to back for Hughes? Oh, I can't. I can't. Becker. Heinz Becker hitting left-handed is Charlie Grimm's choice. And I think they're going to purposely pass Becker, who has had one hit and two tries as a pinch hitter here in the World Series. Yes, he's being intentionally walked. So Becker is being put on. Charlie Grimm goes over and talks to Hank Roy, and I believe that Hank is going to be up. Yes, he's coming out of the ballgame, apparently. And we're going to have uh, Cy Block coming in to run, I know. Seymour Block is going to run for Heinz uh, Becker. The so block is running for Becker. Brody is going to hit for himself. As Block runs here in the last of the ninth inning, Trout is ready. He makes the first pitch and moves it through there on Broy for strike one. The two outs in the last of the ninth inning. Runners at first and second. Broy up there to hit for himself. Trout is ready. Stretches, Pitches to the plate. And there's a ball head out in the center field. Doc Kramer goes over to his left. He's got it. And it's going to be extra innings. For Chicago, here in the ninth inning. No runs. One hit. Two men left. And there were no errors. So at the end of nine full innings of play, the score stands at seven and seven. Well, remember, men. Look sharp, feel sharp, and be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever home. Now as we go into the top half of inning number 10, we're going to have some changes. We're going to have to have a new shortstop. And we're going to see who the new catcher is going to be. Apparently, Dewey Williams is going to do the catching for Chicago. Williams is catching in the 10th inning. And Rollo has gone to shortstop. So that is a change.
1: Gotcha.
0: Marillo at shortstop here in the 10th inning for Chicago. The first man that will come up will be Eddie Mayo. Mayo is coming up there. He's the second baseman of Detroit. And there's a fastball hit right into the drive of Stanley at third. A line drive, and Hack knows now why they call third base the hot corner. He stayed right with it and grabbed it for the out. That's one out here in the top of the 10th inning. And the batter now is Dr. Kramer. Kramer moving in, heading left-handed. Kramer's had one hit. And five at-bats. Gray looks him over. Takes a sign from Dewey Williams. Delivers a medium-speed curveball. It's hit solidly into right field for a base hit. Bill Nicholson comes up to it and grabs it and fires it into second to don johnson and it's a single for kramer hit into right cut off to roy who's hit number three hank greenberg comes striding up to the plate was his home run in the eighth inning that tied up this ball game at seven and seven and the hopes of the detroit fans ride right now on the broad shoulders of big hank greenberg as he steps up to the plate he's hit a couple of home runs in this world series he hit one down at briggs stadium And hit one here. He's batted in five runs so far for the uh, six runs for the Detroit Tigers. Roy curves him carefully under the knees for ball one. One out. Kramer on at first in the top half of the tenth inning. Greenberg swings, hits the ball down the short. Marullo up with it, plays it to Johnson for one out to throw to first. Just when the Chicago Cubs needed that D.P. very badly, they came up with a second one here in this ball game and erased the Tiger chances in the top of the 10th inning. No runs, one hit for Detroit. Nobody left, and there were no errors. And it's still a locked-up ballgame at 7-7 seven seven as we go into the last half of the 10th inning. And before the last half of the 10th inning with busy threat on the mound for Detroit, let us pause 10 seconds for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever home. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago, serving the Middle West. Right back here at Wrigley Field in Chicago, and the first man up in the tenth inning is going to be Stanley Hack. Dizzy Trout makes the first pitch to him, and it's a raw, fast curve for ball one. That is how two hits. He swings on this pitch and hits it into left field probably for a base hit. And Hack is on here in the 10th inning. Stanley Hack hit a ground ball through the hole between short and third and out into left field. That off drop, that is hit number two. So the Chicago Cubs have a potential winning run on at first base. And the batter coming up now is Don Johnson. Scott delivers and Johnson attempts to bunt calls it off to the right of the plate to strike one. So you can see that this one run is very important. They're trying to work Stanley Hack down to second. No outs here in the tenth inning. The score stands at seven and seven. Stanley Hack has just opened the tenth inning for Chicago with a single. Spiked very solidly in the left field. He's on a first. Johnson tried to sacrifice him down to second. Fouled it off for a strike, so his count is his on one. Trout ready, delivers, and there's another attempted sacrifice, but the ball is fouled off to the right of the plate this time. Four strike two. That Trout's really ran back and throwing that high hard one right now. Axe steps off at first, down comes the next pitch, and he's swung on a miss. Four strike three, and that's all for Johnson. And as far as strikeouts are concerned, for Dizzy Trout, that is his second one since he came in to pitch. He's the fifth of the Detroit pitchers, came on to pitch the eighth inning. He pitched the eighth and the ninth, and he's now working the tenth. He's facing Peanuts Lowry right now, the right-hand hitting left fielder. This curveball is a bit high and a bit outside to Peanuts for ball one. Hack again steps off first, one away, last to the tenth. Dizzy Trout doing the pitching for Detroit, throws, and there's a the ball hit down to second base. Mayo comes up nicely with it to throw to Hoover for one out. The throw on a double play. So peanuts Lowry hits into a fast double play in the 10th inning. From the second baseman to the shortstop and over to the waiting middle. of Big Rudy York at first base. And Hack was caught in the middle of that fast double play. So in the 10th inning, no runs, one hit for Chicago, nobody left, and there were no Detroit errors. So at the end of 10 full innings of play, the score is 7-7. Seven and seven. Well, I've just about lost my tonsils. Bill Slater, how do you feel? Well, it isn't my tonsils that are being affected by this ball game, Albert. I think it's my heart. This is a tremendous struggle and, of course, this is an epic in baseball. It's going to go down in baseball history. Everybody knows that because about everything in the world has happened in this particular ball game. And now out on the mound, completing his warm-up pitches, as we move into the 11th inning, is the fellow who won this first game for the Chicago Cubs. And of course, he's being opposed by Dizzy Trout, who has also won a game for the Tigers. So a couple of the veterans and star pitchers of both teams are in there. Now we move into the top of the 11th inning, and as the Tigers bid to get that extra run, that will win this ballgame for them, and the Cubs are eagerly anxious to turn them back. Colin Vine is... Done pretty fair by himself today. He has two hits out of four times up. Columbine, you know, was the GOAT earlier in the series. He wasn't hitting and wasn't looking too good in the field. But since the Tigers have moved into Wrigley Field here in Chicago, Big Roy has been in there, and he's hot. He's batting left-handed, of course, against right-handed pitching. He's a switch hitter. Roy delivers him. Columbine swings on it. There's a high foul down off the third base. Over under to Stanley Hack, right in front of the dugout. He takes it. The so Columbine fouls out, and there's one out for Detroit now on the top of the 11th inning of this thrilling struggle here at Wrigley Field in Chicago. That brings up Rudy York. Today, Rudy has weighed in with a single and a double and five times up. Big right-handed batter from Cartersville, Georgia. Roy picks him. York takes a fast ball strike. It was midway between the waist and knees as Nick the outside corner. Steve O'Neill, with all the pressure on him, coaching down at third. Shouts up to York, something. York takes another one and it was good. He stepped forward on that as if he were going to lean into it, then changed his mind and the ball came whooping in and over. Two strikes on the big slugger. There's the windup. The pitch, swung on, it's hit hard down to Hack at third. Stanley has it, the throw over the first. The Cabaretta is in time and York is out. Two outs for Detroit in the top of the 11. Now here's a little Jimmy Outlaw. Outlaw's had four hits in this series, out of 23 times up. Steps up there, a right-handed batter. Baroy looking him over very carefully. He hit off Baroy back in inning number nine. Got a single to left. Now Baroy works. It's high to Jimmy for ball one. And it's growing cold as the sun hides away now behind the gray clouds. It's quite cold to start with. People have their coat collars turned up. There's the next pitch Start Outlaw. Outlaw swings on it. There's a long one going to deep left field. Back goes Peanuts Lowry over to his right. He's under it now, and he takes it for the out. all for Detroit in the top of the 11th inning. And here's how things stand at the end of 10 and a half innings of this ball game. Detroit has seven runs. They have made 12 hits and committed no errors. Chicago has seven runs. They have made 13 hits, and they have been guilty of three errors. So the Cubs come up to bat in the last half of the 11th inning. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever home. And here's how they're going to come up in the last half of the 11th. It will be a lot of Chicago power there, For the leadoff hitter will be Phil Cabaretta, the champion batsman of the National League in this 1945 season. Then he'll be followed by Andy Papco, who has been in a hitting slump in the series but has come to life today. And then after him comes the ever-dangerous Bill Nicholson. So if Dizzy Trout can get by this one, she'll rock along. Cabaretta, left-handed hitter, has two hits out of four times up today. There he is in that crouch, Trout pitches him and it's fouled off by Cabaretta for strike one. Ball bounces off the ground, rolls down off the screen and little Jimmy Shalikas, the bat boy of the Cubs, catches it. And the outfield plays Cabaretta practically straight away, but deep. Trout works, it's low and inside, ball one. One and one on Cabaretta. And it's old Diz Trout, who lives down in Tahoe, Indiana, who's doing the job. Cabaretta swings, misses. Strike two. One and two. Trout tall and blonde-like. Confident, powerful man is Trout. He's ready. Pitches. Hit by Cabaretta, right back to the mound. Trout has it, halfway runs at the first, and then tosses it underhand to York. Cabrera Cabaretta is out. Here's Popko. Papco's been up five times today. He's had a single and a double. And it was his strong arm that cut down Eddie Mayo at the crucial point, back there before the game had gone past regulation length. And that was an arm that's been strengthened by Papco and his youth, milk and cows. Papco swings on one, hits a foul. The hot-hit ball is fouled down the left field line. One strike on Papco, and the whole crowd rose up. Because the last time Papco was up there, he spiked a double right down that self-same left field line. Actually, the Chicago fans hoped he was doing it again. Now Trout pitches him. Papo hits one. It's high up in the air. Back on the grass goes Mayo. It's twisting in the air, and Mayo takes it and holds it, and it was close. There was a tremendous thrill. That ball was hit high up in the air, back on the grass, behind first base. Going over under it was Mayo, and the ball was twisting up there in that very heavy wind. And Mayo had to make a lunge at the last moment, and he did, and it landed in his glove and he almost fell down holding on to it. But Pato is out. That's two out for Chicago. Now here is Bill Nicholson. Nicholson hasn't hit today. Swings and misses. There's that tremendous swinging motion of this big, powerful guy from Maryland. Today, Nicholson has struck out twice. He's walked once. Popped out the other two times. Now he swings on one. There's a high fly ball to left center field. Doc Kramer is over under it. Greenberg is right beside him. And Greenberg takes it right in front of Kramer. And he bumped into Kramer, but he didn't hurt him. So that's all for Chicago in the last half of the 11th inning. Nicholson flying out to Greenberg. And the score is still Chicago 7, Detroit 7. And here comes inning number 12. I'll bet you that everybody will go home and spend hour upon hour talking about this particular struggle today. Now on the mound again, as we go into inning number 12, is Fordham Hank Barrowe, behind the plate is Dewey Williams, at first still is Cabaretta, at second base is Don Johnson, at shortstop is Len Murillo, the East Boston boy, at third base of course is Stanley Hack. in left field is Peanuts Lowry, and center field is Andy Papco, and in right field is Bill Nicholson. And the first batter for Detroit here in the top of the 12th inning. Will be the catcher, Bob Swift. Swift, the fellow who lives in Salina, Kansas. And is known, as we have remarked, as the best wafflemaker in the big leagues. Steps up here, Bob's a husky fella, Big six-footer with plenty of heft on that powerful frame of his. And he bats right-handed and he wears a great big number one on his back. And number one is just exactly the number of runs that both of these teams want right now in the 7-7 tie going into inning number 12. Now Barroa is ready to go to Swift. There's that wind-up. Here it comes. Swift takes fast ball strike. That ball had Barowie steam on it. It put the outside corner just above the knees. Hank working again. Swift taking again. Strike two. The same pitch. Now the shortstop, Len Morello, comes in to pick something up off of the infield there and stick it in his pocket. He wants no pebbles or anything there to obstruct the play on the ball if it comes his way. Two strikes on Swift. Pitcher swung on, there's a high fly ball going into left field. Lowry is quickly to his right, over near the line, and Lowry is under, it, just in fair territory down the left field line. So that's all for Swift. One away for Detroit. Dizzy Trout is scheduled to hit next, and I imagine old Diz will be coming up to hit for himself because he can hit. Yep, here he comes. A big hand to Dizzy Trout. That busy as a character, right at this particular moment he's got uh, his right pants leg hitched up uh, above his right knee and his left one is hanging way down. That's old Diz for you, batting right-handed, stepping in there. Roy pitches him, low into the dirt, ball one on Trout. Trouty's last time up in the ninth inning, hit one down to the infield, got on at first on the fielder's choice, but that was when Jimmy Outlaw got caught between third and home on what looked like a pretty good Detroit rally. Trout swings on that one, there's a high foul up, the catcher is going over, under Dewey Williams over near the dugout of the Tigers, takes it for the out, the trout fouls out, and that's two out, the top of the Detroit batting order is scheduled to come up now, that brings up Joe Hoover, Hoover hasn't appeared much in this particular series, Joe's a six footer, weighs 175 pounds, and comes from Brawley, California, 29 year old that's right handed, his third time up, he got on once by an error and popped out to the first baseman the other time. Roy pitches him, it's good. Hank is warm to his task now and he's pitching beautiful baseball. Hoover's standing there almost straight up, crowding the plate a little. Roy moves one high, went right across in front of his nose. One ball, one strike on Hoover. Hoover and Skeeter Webb have been off and on the shortstop for the Tigers this whole year. was so the pitch a little too high again. Ball 2 2-1 and on Joe Hoover. On deck. If he gets a chance, is Eddie Mayo. Now absolute quiet settles over Wrigley Field. As Borelli gets ready to work, here it comes. Hoover swings on it, hits it on the ground to the left of Pharrell, and it goes through into the outfield for a hit. It's a single for Hoover and he's on. And there's the tie-breaking run at first now, if the Tigers can bring it in, two are out. That's hit number four outside of Hank DeRoy, since he came in here in inning number nine. That's hit number 15 for the Tigers. They don't consider that unlucky. And here's Eddie Mayo up there. Mayo, as we've told you, has gotten four of his five hits in this series, off Tank Verroy, whom he faces right now. Mayo back's left-handed. Here's a pitch to Mayo, and Hoover is breaking for second. There's the throw down, and Hoover is out, trying to steal second.
2: That was a very nice draw
0: by Joey Williams. It was taken by Len Murillo, slapped on Hoover, who came sliding in. I think Murillo got spiked on his left hand. There's the trainer, Andy Lockshaw running out there. The that closed out the inning as far as the Tigers were concerned. No runs for them, one hit, no base runners left on. We're no errors, and now we're headed for the last half of inning number 12. And here's the way it all adds up at this point in this tremendous ball game out here at Wrigley Field. Detroit, seven runs, 13 hits, no errors. Chicago, seven runs, 13 hits, three errors. We're waiting for the last half of the 12th inning. The hitters there will be Williams, the catcher, if he's sent up. And he'll be followed by Marilla if he's sent up. And then Roy. Depending on how things go. Well, while we're getting ready for them, here's my message to you. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette blue blades with the sharpest edges ever hauled. And Dewey Williams will come up to hit. Williams has been up once before in this series, came up as a pinch hitter, went 0 for 1. So this is his second time at bat in the series. Billy Schuster, utility shortstop, is warming up down the bullpen, so I imagine will may not the uh, box to play. Now Dills Trout delivers one to Dewey Williams, it's up high. Williams, a right-handed batter, swings on one, hits it back past Trout. It's fielded by Mayo, the throw to first is in time. Nice work by Mayo. Williams is out. Second to first. That's one away on the last of the 12th. And this terrifically tense rock struggle grinds on. Let's see who's coming up the bat here now. I do not believe it's going to be Morello, but I'm not sure. Up looks like Frank Sekoy. It's Sekoy, all right who has been up three times as a pinch hitter, has gotten one hit out of three times, up is coming up here to hit now in the last of the 12th, there's nobody on, and one away. Scory's wife is seated down here in the stands, just off to the right of it. Scory's a big guy, stands over six feet, weighs 200 pounds, and he hails from Fort Huron, Michigan. Right-handed batter, and Trout gets ready to pitch to him. Swings on that one, slaps it out in the center field. It's falling in for a hit. Kramer is coming up to it, and Sakari is on at
1: first with the second hit of the series.
0: I think Billy Schuster is going to run for Sakari. Yep. Schuster, who's not quite so big. A little bit faster on his speed, is going to run for Sicari. And that, of course, is an important run because that's potentially the game-winning run if the Cubs can bring it in. Sicori incidentally right now is batting at an even 500 in this series. Pretty good for a French hitter. And the batter coming to the plate is going to be Hank Roy. Roy hits very well in the clutches last year in the All-Star game. First one out for the American League. He chokes up the bunt and the bunt rolls foul. So the strategy there apparently was to tell Mr. Roy to get Schuster running for Sicori down to second. That would make a two out and it would put all the pressure on Stan Hack, who's pretty hot today. Sicori's blow a moment ago was just the third hit that Busy crowd has given up since he came in here in the eighth inning. Now Old Deer stretches, goes the plate, and another attempt to bunt is fouled off. But Trout's making it mighty hard for Burore to bunt. And Jolly, Charlie Grimm down there at third, the old banjo player, one of the swellest guys that ever walked, is just about to tear his big self apart. Now he spreads his arms wide and looks up at the heavens. Now he cups his hands and shouts at Baroy. And the infield is pulled back, of course. There are two strikes on Baroy. Here's the pitch. Baroy swings away and strikes out. That's two out. And here comes Stanley Camfield-Hack. That's three strikeouts for Mr. Kraut. Now let's take a look at what Hack has done today. Twice Hack has worked the pitcher for a walk, and three times out of the other four times up, he has gotten singles. He's hit twice to center field, and he's hit once to left field. Left-handed batter who pulls him, who hits him towards the left side of the outfield. There's a call strike that Trout puts in on him. Fast one just above the knees and on the inside corner. There's a tremendous hole between center and right field. Schuster has a long leadoff first. Trout delivers the plate. Schuster goes back to first, and that is strike two on Mr. Hack. Hack was backing away from it, but it nipped the inside corner on him, and Charlie Grimm comes charging in from third, shouting like a bull. Now Charlie, Charlie goes back into the box, takes off his hat. Two strikes is a count on Hack. Two out, game-winning run is at first. Here's the pitch, outside, ball one, one and two on Stanley Camfield Hack, one of the greatest third basemen in the history of baseball, 36 years old, knows a lot of ball, there's the throw over to first and Schuster, has to dive in on his stomach, he was traveling right in there on the pit of his stomach, sliding and reaching for that bag, couch throw over to York was fast. There's the pitch to Hack, it's fouled off, as Schuster was breaking for second. Hack busted his bat on that. Count on him is one ball, two strikes, and Hack goes trotting over to the Cubs' dugout, which is just opposite third base. Got a new bat, and he's going to pick out the one that he himself personally selects. Little Jimmy Shalikas, the bat boy for the Cubs, finds one for him. Hack looks at it, says it's all right. Now he's beating the handle end of it on the ground, just to make sure that it rings true. Because I doubt if Hack has ever been up the bat in a more important spot than this one right here. Billy Schuster, leading down off first there, he's a Buffalo boy, born, bred and lives there. And Hack up here with the count one ball and two strikes on him and two out. Now Schuster's breaking, Hack gets it, it's a clean hit out into left field. And it bounces over Greenberg's head and is rolling toward the wall. And Schuster's rounding third, and
1: Schuster comes in to score, and the Cubs win.
0: I'll be talking about that one. Schuster was on at first. He broke with the pitch. The ball was hit by Hack. or Hack's fourth hit of the afternoon. It went out into left field. It looked as if it were going to be easy for Hank Greenberg to field it on the first pop. It hit some kind of an obstruction there. Bounced high over the head of Greenberg, rolled to the wall. And Greenberg had no chance to, to run back to the wall and pick that up and get it in before Schuster had scored. I believe he will be officially credited with a double, but he bats in the winning run, and the Cubs tie up the series. On as unusual thing, as you will ever see in the World Series or any other ball game, and it came in the last half of the 12th inning. Well, now, here comes Bill Corb. Chicago wins. The score is 8-7, everyone. And fighting his way
2: through here and looking not too cold comes Bill Corb. Here's Bill Corb. Bill, what do you think? Well, Bill, I've seen everything now, and I hope you boys kept your hotel rooms. This was a finish to make your heart pound and your pulse pump, very much like the one down in Washington in 1924 when the Senators won their world's championship from the Giants and Muddy Rule's said, I believe it was, bounced over Lindstrom's head for the winning run for old Sir Walter Johnson in the 12th inning. Of course, Pack, who lashed that ball out into left field that bounced over Greenberg's head, had been hitting like a wild man all afternoon as he has all the way through the series. Old Stanislaw, one of the great ball players of the National League, and when Billy Schuster came robbing home, this great crowd here in Chicago went wild. They used almost as many pitchers today and uh, as many warmed up as there were folks in the stands. And there were 41,708 here who had paid $204,531 to bring the total up to 1,388,277, a new series record. The previous mark was 1,322,328, set in the seven-game series between the Tigers and the Cincinnati Reds. But there were all kinds of records broken here this afternoon. And almost everything you could see in a ball game. Of course, this great Chicago crowd is going back home happy now. And on Wednesday, we'll probably see another such game. Probably not as thrilling. It could hardly be. But another great ball game to find out who's finally going to be the champion in 1945. It'll come down, I suppose. I haven't had a chance, of course, to talk to Charlie Grimm, to all, old um, Paul Derringer, to start for him. It doesn't look to me as if he's got anybody else. And the Tigers remember Paul very well because he was the fella who down in Cincinnati beat Bobo Newsom in the series down there in 1940 in the last seventh and deciding game. I'm not a, I told you so fella, but you might remember that the first time I got on this radio, at the beginning of this series, I said it looked to me like these were two teams who might fight it out down to a seventh game and we might see every one of them played as we will now. They're just like that. Very little to choose between them. The Tigers have Greenberg, a tower of strength at the bat for all that he can't run very well now. And of course it was Hank who, like Dave Ruth, the old guy who stood alone, always came up when the spotlight was brightest, who slashed that home run, his second of the series, into the left field seats to keep the Tigers in the ball game and keep the Cubs from winning in a regulation nine innings. You'll seldom see two pitchers, one who won on Saturday and one who lost yesterday on Sunday, coming back to finish up a ball game and deciding it between them. And of course this time it was Trout who had to accept the role of the vanquished, and Hank Baroy, the fellow who came to the Cubs from the Yankees, who reversed what happened to him yesterday and came out the winning pitcher here in this sensational ball game in which the Cubs won eight to seven and my totals are eight runs. 15 hits, 3 left, 3 errors, and 11 left for the Cubs. Detroit, 7 runs, 13 hits, 1 left, and 12. 14 hits, I guess it is, for the Cubs. Well, anyhow, I got so much on my scorecard that nobody could read it, and least of all, I. There's all kinds of figures and marks here because I got a lot of notes. It's really 8, 15, and 3, and 7, 13, and 2. Thank you, Al Helper. I was changing the math so fast that I had it wrong. Now, there was an error charged on Greenberg, and on a single for hack on that last play. We didn't have time to give it to you, but that's the way the official score called it. They've been very generous about errors previous to this, but on that one, which didn't look to me, of course, I have nothing to do any more than a spectator. I have no official capacity in calling him, but that ball looked as if it hit something and took a hop and... Greenberger, nobody else could have got it, as if there might have been a stone or something out there in the field. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. The Cubs won in thrilling fashion, kept themselves in the game, fought brilliantly, and old man Faso should receive a great nod of acknowledgement here because of his pitching, even after Jimmy Outlaw had torn the nail off the middle finger of his pitching hand. He was still in there, a good pitcher, and not, of course, the great one that he was when he pitched that one-hit game up there in Detroit but a fella who kept the Tigers held in check and Greenberg and Big York and Cullenbine, and all those heavy swingers, too, until the Cubs could finally come on and win a game that they might easily have won in the regulation nine inning. The Tigers had, in the eighth inning, their usual big four-run cluster, but this time it didn't see them through. It wasn't quite enough because this afternoon, chilly as it was, Beautiful, though, with sunshine at the finish. The Cubs were not to be denied, and they'll be in there fighting at the finish. No doubt, Newhouser will pitch for Detroit, and we all know what a great pitcher he is. Probably the best in the game today. And the old man, Derringer, will undoubtedly oppose him, I feel sure, in that seventh and deciding game on Wednesday. Well, fans, what a series this is turning out to be. Now remember, there will be no game tomorrow. But we'll be back on the air Wednesday afternoon sharp at 1.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to report the seventh game of the 1945 World Series. So until Wednesday afternoon, this is Bill Corm with Al Hofer and Bill Slater saying, smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon for the Gillette Safety Razor Company. Remember man, look sharp, feel
1: sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed.